right, everybody. This is Project Herpetoculture Podcast, episode 29. I'm your host, Roy Arthur Blodgett, joined as always by Philip Leitz. And we have an excellent guest for you today. It's going to be an awesome show. Um, but before we jump into introducing him, I'd like to do our quick housekeeping and give a shout out to Dylan and the Animals at Home Network for sponsoring us. The goat. <laughs> the obligatory. Um, thank you, Phil. And um, yeah, and also a quick shout out to Charlie, who um, edits our audio. And um, it's just generally um, an awesome supporter of the show and what we're doing here. Really appreciate everything he does to keep um, the train on the tracks here. Um, and yeah, last but not least, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors. Project Herpetoculture is brought to you by Custom Reptile Habitats, makers of premium PVC reptile enclosures. I use these vivariums myself and have been very pleased with their quality and customer service. We have an affiliate link for them posted in our bio. And if you make a purchase through that link, we'll receive a commission at no additional cost to you. We're also supported by Cold-Blooded Caffeine, roasters of quality coffees from across the globe. And for each bag of coffee purchased, Cold-Blooded Caffeine donates a small portion to conservation in coffee-growing regions. Regions, which also supports some amazing herpetofauna. Even better, you can apply the code PROJECTHERP for an extra 10% off your order. And last but not least, we have Redline Shipping for all of your reptile shipping needs. Check them out for some of the best customer service in the industry. If you're interested in supporting the show directly as a listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash projectherpetoculture. We also now have a range of merch posted on our website at projectherp.com. Of course, sharing the show with a referral or shout out on social media is always helpful. Just know that every ounce of support is greatly appreciated as we grow the capacity and scope of the show. We have really big ambitions for Project Herpet Culture, and it's all only possible with the generosity of our listeners and sponsors. So thank you again. And with that, on to the show. With all that out of the way, um, I'm very happy to introduce our guest for today, which is Dan Maliri, who um, is very generously joining us at, I think, is it around 8 a.m.? Local time for you, Dan, in Thailand? It is April 4, yeah, 8, 8 a.m. Nice. The, the, the one day ahead of you guys. I think yeah. it's Saturday. Saturday? Yeah. Yeah, it's Saturday. So <laughs> he's, he's actually joining us from the future. So, can, uh, <laughs> um, so Dan, I, um, I'm a big fan of, of your work, your story. I've followed along. You know, I've, I've listened to you on a bunch of other podcasts and you know, subscriber on YouTube, all that stuff. Um, but for those who aren't acquainted with you and, and your background a little bit, I'm curious if you could share just how you got your start in herpetoculture. Yeah. So I've asked, I've been asked this question so many times and it always sounds the same. So, <laughs> and my story is the same, just like everybody else. So uh, I caught a garter snake when I was like nine on a camping trip and like, that was my first thing, you know, my, my family, my parents, nobody was into to reptiles. Uh, we had a dog. We didn't even have a cat yet at that time, you know, and like, so we just didn't have a lot of animals at home or anything. So uh, I had to really work and convince my parents to like, let me have that first snake. And then from there, it just kind of, once the, that door was open and then it was like, well, a second snake isn't so bad, and then a third one's not so bad, and then an iguana isn't so bad, and then and like that just really kind of opened the door. So I kept all kinds of stuff from a very young age. 
when I was 14, there was a right up the street at the local shopping mall was a little pet store that had a bit of everything. Uh, of course, it wasn't a reptile store. There were very few reptile stores back then anyway. But uh, I got hired there to do like animal maintenance when I was 14. And I continued working there. And like they put me in charge of like the fish department. So I was like siphoning tanks and getting my fill of dirty bacteria infested water, you know, like because so I should be immune to pretty much everything after that. But um, <laughs> so I had like, I, this is kind of weird, but I feel it's very important. My mom was super cool. She still is super cool, very supportive. And um, when I was like 15, the shop manager of this pet store would go like once every month or two to uh, California Zoological Supply, which is still in business and still the same guy. And, uh, and I still, roles have been reversed just a little bit, but um, she would go, the manager, about every one or two months and she would buy just a few little things for the shop, for our little tiny reptile department. So like box turtles and maybe green iguanas and whatever. And um, my mom would excuse me from school and I would roll with her to Cal Zoo. And that place was amazing. And back in those days, we're talking like 85, 84, 85, 86 in there somewhere. Uh, you know, there were, there were came in there. Like there, there was a lot less regulation and rules and all that kind of stuff. So I was seeing all kinds of crazy, crazy stuff. And I would buy things on the store's account and then, I don't know how many months or years I worked without getting paid at all because I was just the, the, my little paychecks were paying off the animals that I snatched out of that place. And so I was rolling out of there with all kinds of like crazy stuff. Like as like 15, 16 years old, I'm getting, I had like Solomon Island ground boas and, and just all kinds of stuff, BCC red tail boas, and just all kinds of crazy stuff. And it was just nonstop. So that really fueled things a lot. And then um, there were a couple dirty little reptile stores around SoCal. And so I had my, I had my little route and sometimes, well, before I could drive, my mom would drive me around a little bit every once in a while. And I had to get feeders and I had to get crickets and I had to get things. And of course it was usually just to, uh, you know, look at animals and get more, maybe get some more stuff that I couldn't get over there at Cal zoo or whatever, but um, just really kind of got into the local scene a little bit, but still doing it solo again, no siblings into it. Parents are not into it. I'm just rocking totally by myself. My, when I got into high school, none of my friends were into it. We, I was not, <laughs> connected to anybody through I mean we didn't have internet and so like I was going to expos driving you know like uh, we had big shows in San Diego every October and so as a brand new driver I was just telling my wife about this the other day because she just got her driver's license here in Thailand of course she's you know she's 37 but she grew up poor so no driving, no cars, nobody had anything. She can ride a water buffalo and all that stuff and, and get on a <laughs> motorbike. But driving a car is totally, totally uh, something different. So 
Um, but I was just telling her this story because she's a brand new driver and she's driving our expensive car around, you know, and I'm just like, uh. well, as a brand new licensed driver, I was making these solo missions kind of on the down low for my parents driving uh, like almost two hours by myself just to go to like the San Diego show. And, um, and so that is where I, that's how I like fueled everything, the library, the expos a little bit later. And then, um, and then, you know, just reading books and doing all that stuff. And I figured out how to breed things at a pretty young age. And back in those days, really nobody was breeding anything. Everyone just had one of everything. It was just like, they didn't even care, male, female, whatever. So when I was really young, you know, I had like one ball python, one reed tick, one green iguana, one monitor, one of this, one of that. But then once I bred the my very first thing, and then it was kind of like, wait a second, I should have pairs of everything, you know? And then that's when it kind of, it kind of, everything started changing for me. And I started, uh, my goal was to breed. And then of course, through the expos, I was exposed, exposed to like um, Gary Sipperly and Lloyd Lemke and all these names back then these big names and um and i just started getting pairs of stuff i started buying uh some captive bread from those guys asking them questions learning how to do stuff and then yeah it just kind of evolved when i was uh when i was 18 i finally moved on to other employment and like from the from working at that pet store. I was there for, for a minute. <laughs> so um, and then I was like kind of an adult in a way, at least like earning more money and things. And so I just continued to kind of take it to a little bit higher level to where instead of just having a few glass tanks in my room, like now all of a sudden things are evolving in the industry, the expos. Now, now there's like tub racks and, and Neodesha or Neodesha or however you pronounce it. And just like all those things were coming around, there was a lot of changes, um, thermostats and, and just a whole bunch of, you know, as opposed to like hot rocks, right. Back in the old days. Right. And then oh, yeah. now, <laughs> now all of a sudden wow. there's like, like heat cable and thermostats and, and like people are doing stuff with melamine and the thermostats are like, are, are installed inside like you know where the the controllers are real fancy on the outside rather than just some weird some wires just hanging around whatever and it just started getting real, yeah it just started the the whole hobby started advancing and um and then before you knew it you know i was i was living in a, in a two-bedroom apartment and one of my bedrooms was completely reptiles with all kinds of yeah, interesting cages and things and then at some point i was uh I, I jumped to uh, vision cages. So I had, you know, like a whole second bedroom just with stacks of vision cages. And then I had baby racks and, and it just kept going and going and going. And it just never stopped for me. I always kind of in the back of my mind thought that I would outgrow it at some point because I was sort of taught or led to believe that keeping reptiles as pets, that's like a thing that kids do. Like having a pet, you know, like, cause you talk to adults nowadays. Well, I talk to a lot of adults nowadays that are deep into reptiles, but 
for the most part, people that aren't into reptiles, it's like, oh, I had a green iguana when I was 16. Totally. And then, yeah. And then that's it, you know? So I just exactly. sort of was to believe that I would outgrow it. And this is like a kid phase or whatever. But no, it just, that, that's not what happened with me. It just, it just continued. And so um, my dad's not around anymore, but my mom constantly is telling me like, he would be blown away if he saw like where you took this. And so, um, yeah, it's just kind of interesting. Even myself, I, I'm even surprised myself looking back at all the things that, that I've been able to accomplish, you know, by, by doing that stuff. And then the, the travel started. And then the, in 2003, I took my first trip, like, really kind of focusing on reptiles to Southeast Asia. And then that was also um, kind of a two-pronged thing. I wanted to try to explore importing and all that. And so that led to like a whole nother thing, you know? And so it just seems like even now I'm 52 years old and more doors just continue to open. And I kind of just... I just kind of follow it, you know, it's like a door opens and rather than go leaving it, just, just leaving it there, walking away, I tend to go through that door, you know, and then when I get to the other side, another door will open. It's like, wow, this is amazing to me, you know, and so even now, constantly, the last year, a lot of doors open this year, so far, it's early, right, but um, doors are opening even now. And and it's just leading me to some mysterious. I don't. I don't even know how it's going to end. It, it's it's really putting <laughs> me out. I continue to be amazed. Like as, as soon as I pause and go, I can't believe that just happened. You know, and then I can't, or I can't believe this is happening or whatever. I mean, now you know with our facility in Malaysia and, and all this other stuff, I feel like we're really really pushing pushing the boundaries now yeah. I, yeah. my wife we're, we're really close um she's not super deep into reptiles like me but of course she's exposed to it all and she's learning and willing to learn and she supports me and so all like we we talk all the time and it's just kind of like show me somebody that's doing what we're doing you know, mm-hmm. like it right. really is, to me, I just feel like it's, it, it, it's, it's groundbreaking stuff. I, I think it is. And there's more stuff happening. There's stuff I, there's stuff I show, there's stuff I don't show. There's stuff yeah. that I can share and there's stuff that I can't share or I'll share it later or whatever. And it's just, uh, I don't know. It just trips me out. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Roy. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, from the outside looking in, it's, it definitely, um, that makes sense to me that you would have that kind of whiplash disorientation looking around like, wait, how did I get here? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty amazing. It's, yeah, it's really fast. Yeah. It, it's super interesting to me because it seems like um, all of us are really, really lucky to live at this moment in herpetoculture. You know what I mean? Like there's so many other industries where people you know it's 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 a storied industry and oh like you know whole families in certain businesses and things like that but 
there really seems to be so much potential for innovation and really weird, unexpected development, specifically within this realm of like um, non-traditional pets, you know, mm-hmm. and, and non-traditional interactions with the things that we keep at home, which is, it's a weird, it's a, just a weird time to be alive in it. I'm sure that, yeah, I can't even imagine the kind of wild stuff that yeah, it's happening at the highest levels, you know? Yeah, it, it's crazy. Of course, the internet is the biggest change to all of it. And it's not its not like YouTube and social media and all that stuff. Like, I, I kind of regard all that as, that's just a bunch of fluff. Like, like to me, that's like a whole kind of fabricated it's just a bunch of BS in my opinion. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, in, I'm involved in it too, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm on like a different path, but as far as being able to communicate with people, it's like, <clears throat> I'm constantly getting in touch or people are actually, people are getting in touch with me through social media, but like important people. So, and I'm not talking like, you know, some guy with a huge like YouTube channel or something like, mm-hmm. like that's not it. For example, the last time when I was traveling through Halmahera and I was filming some videos at the, the, the trappers and the collectors and stuff like that, trying to give like new perspective and new insight to people in this hobby. I had a guy reach out to me because he works for one of those guys and he saw my video shared by the trapper and then he reached out to me and so he's like i saw you in such and such as truck going through my village and i'm the guy that catches all of the whatevers or this or that and so you know so like ah. now, yeah and so like it just expands and so yeah. now that guy begging begging us to come out and like film some videos going out and doing you know stuff with him. And it's just weird because without all the internet and all that, that contact would have never been made, but, but, you know, so it's just weird to me. It's not, it's not like somebody reaching out and saying, Hey, I'm looking to buy whatever. Like that is just completely bizarre. The dude doesn't even speak English. You know, I have, I'm, I'm, one of us has to use Google translate. And so like, I usually go, I'll do it. I, I'm faster. I can just do copy and paste. And so, I'm, I got to type my message in Google translate and then translate it and then copy it and then paste it into our dialogue. <laughs> yeah. So I'm talking to all these different people in all these, yeah. you know, at least in Indonesian, it worked, it works really well for translate, but, um, but it's nonstop and it just seems to expand the reach and, and, um, and it's just a trip. It, it, it's a totally different world that we're living in right now. It's, it's yeah. bizarre. Yeah. It really is. It feels like we haven't, you know, as a species, as a, as societies, we haven't yet caught up with it. You know, it's like yeah. things are changing faster than we can really metabolize the change. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, a, exactly. it's a weird, it's a weird thing to be confronted with, but um, I'm curious. Before, the before we, oh, go ahead, Phil. All right. I was just going to say the, the, and, and then we can move on, but the weirdness around the way the world feels at the moment, I feel like mostly like if you were born after a certain time period, it won't be weird. Like it's just not weird to you. You know what I mean? But if you were born, if you, you know, I went to high school 
and was, I think I got my first cell phone when I was like 18, 19. And then I didn't have smartphones for like another five, six years, something like that, mm-hmm. or, you know, within that ballpark. And yeah. so like, <clears throat> it, but so remembering pre-internet experience, what little of it I had, uh, what, you know, I think really relates to the weirdness of all of that. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I, yeah. I, I, it's interesting to me, like I have siblings, you know, who are much younger than me. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm always confronted by that. They're like, wow, you have never known a world without the internet, <laughs> you know? And like, it's not like I knew it for very long, you know, I was little when the internet came out, but I do remember what it was like. And I, I definitely can have some, you know, basis for comparison of how different it is. But anyway, um, before we get too far away from kind of like your early um, experiences, Dan, I'm curious if, if um, you, you mentioned a few names, but I'm curious if you had any like early influences or mentors within the trade that kind of stand out to you as people that you um, either look up to or who influenced your path or had a relationship with you? Yeah, well, pretty much those names from the expos, though, like early on, I wanted to be those guys. Mm-hmm. Like those, those, those were the people, even until now, like I, I don't follow sports. I don't have any, like, I, I don't follow athletes and I, I don't, I don't wear shirts with dudes names on it and all that's like uh, teams and all that. Like, I don't do that. I always, even from a young age, I wanted to be those guys from the expos, the big name people and the people that were cool because there were some big name people that weren't cool. And they would just like fun you or whatever. And so I tried to model myself also after those people because now I'm doing those expos and I've been doing those expos for a long time. But I remember how valuable it was to me to have some of those guys stop and take time and answer questions that I had. And and of course, I was buying animals from them too. But um, But a lot of those people were really good to me it wasn't anything like i you know i didn't go to their house and they weren't like mentoring me but i would like every expo that i could get to that was my opportunity to have some chit chat as best i could because expos are a little bit busy anyway Mm -hmm. so i try to be those guys because i valued it so much when i was young and coming up and so i'm doing the same thing or at least i'm trying to so when i do expos and all that you know, my voice is, my, my throat is hoarse and sore from talking so much to so many people. But, you know, just because a little a little kid comes up to my table and I know he doesn't have a pocket full of cash and he's not going to buy something, I'm still talking to that kid just like I would talk to anybody else. I There could be a dude standing there and I know he's getting ready to drop like a grand on something or whatever, but, you know, just wait. Cause I was talking to this kid first, you know, and it's like, it's not, it's important to me that I kind of do all that stuff because I tasted what it was like when I was young. And so I, I always valued that. I wanted to emulate and be those people. And so, um, you know, yeah, like Gary Sipperly was one of the coolest people to me. And so um, Lloyd Lemke, he was not super talkative, but he was there um, at all the shows. And, and just a lot of those, those guys, you know, like I wanted to be those, those people. There were other people that I looked up to, but they're still around and they took this whole YouTube 
sensation thing. Like they went completely sideways in my opinion, chasing mm-hmm. goals in life that, that are completely different. And so it's like, though, like, I don't want to be those people. Like, I just, I just mm-hmm. don't want those people. I still value like being somebody that's actually doing real stuff in this thing. Like, that that's that's what i want to be and so yeah those those people um mark o'shea i have an amazing respect for i had him on my channel we did some interviews and stuff like that i watched his tv shows and stuff when i was young his his uh his reptile stuff and uh and i liked his style he's real mm-hmm. um it's not it's not you know a bunch of weird animal planet like bs like it like that guy's a real you know, he's, he's really into it, you know, he's, he's an educator and all that. And so an academic and and writing books and all those things. And so, um, I have a lot of respect for him and, um, and yeah, like Steve Irwin, of course, like I, I watched those programs on TV and even though I watched it and I knew a lot of it was staged and it was a lot of, like dramatic stuff for TV and all that. But I did watch a lot of and follow a lot of his stuff just because of all the places he would go and the things he would do and the animals and all that. So, you know, yeah, I I can't, I can't take any way, anything away from that guy. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can't really think of too many other people. I don't have a lot of people that I, that I look up to. Today, I feel like a lot of younger people, they, their role models, like they're following people as role models that, that they're just, (laughs) they're not doing anything. Like, what are you going to learn? Like, it's just like, they're, they're going to watch and watch and watch and consume all this content. And then those people, those young people are being groomed to just be more of those people in the future. And it's just like, what, like what, where, what's going on? You know, like it's it just, um, that's a whole nother thing. But um, the, the impression that was made on me as a youngster is it's deeply ingrained in, in me. And I have no interest in selling out and not going down that path. So mm-hmm. I guess that's the best way that, you know, you can describe it. I'm, I'm in the very beginning stages of writing a book and it's mm-hmm. going to be like about my, my coming up of course. And then all my adventures and my accomplishments and, and the places that all this has taken me. And just when I think like, it's like, okay, that's perfect way to end the book. The last chapter, okay, Malaysia yeah. facility, that's it. Like, that's the pinnacle. And then next thing you know, I'm in a situation where I'm like, this is another chapter. Like, this, this is an amazing chapter right now. And I don't even know how it's going to end. I hope it doesn't end, like, with some weird Netflix documentary. But, um, <laughs> but and it just keeps going and going. But I think it would be cool to write a book, you know? Mm-hmm. I. I think, I mean, some people would be interested in it. A lot of people probably won't. It's not going to be like general interest or anything, but, um, but I'm going to do it also, you know, and to me, like, that's a big deal. Like that's, that's cool. It's documenting my thing. 
I don't know if I'm setting the bar. Like I always have a weird feeling that I was thinking about this this morning. So let me like, let me give you an example. You see one of these reptile YouTuber guys on, on YouTube. They have a ton of followers, young people, maybe young people that are watching and consuming the content. And it's realistically possible that they can do exactly what those people are doing. They can end up creating a shop that's actually like of a, a set to create content and you can breed animals and you can dodge snake bites and you can cut open eggs and you can do all this stuff and you can have millions of followers and you can make tons of money and you can wear a zookeeper uniform and you can do all this stuff. And so I feel like a lot of the young people that are consuming that content, it's realistically possible that they can be the next version of that because it's not a big deal because anybody can right. do it. It's totally possible. You just have to build a following and like do, you know, do goofy stuff and stuff that draws attention and do your pranks and do all your little collabs and all this stuff. And so like, you can be that next person. You can be that. I feel like a lot of times I, my audience like taps out and just goes, I can't do that. And like, they just don't like, they just don't want to watch. Like, I realized that even me just now having my facility in Malaysia with the, the rare odd chance that I connected with my partner so many years ago in Malaysia to make that possible. And I have like all-star employees that take care of my animals and all this stuff. It's totally improbable that like you could, anybody could just do that. It's mm -hmm. really, really almost impossible. So I feel like instead of a, a lot of people in general, they're watching this stuff. And instead of them being able to like identify with it and go, I want to do that someday. I want to watch. I want to learn from this guy. And I want to, I someday I want to be living in another country and I want to have a breeding facility and I want to be exporting and importing and I want to do all that stuff. And I feel like, a lot of times my potential audience just taps out and goes, I would rather watch this guy doing a collab with this basketball player and dragging, <laughs> you know, dragging the retics and throwing them in their swimming pools and their mansions and all this other stuff. I'd rather watch that because over here, Dan is doing the impossible. I'll never be able to do that. And why should I even bother wasting my time watching what he's doing? That's, mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like that might be something that's happening. I don't know. And I don't care <laughs> because if I do inspire some people, you know, and I'm sure I know that I am inspiring some people, but I know the bar is, is being set rather high. And, and I realize it too. It is like looking back, how did these really good partners come into my life? How did these people come into my life? I'm just super lucky because there's, it's very, you know, it's easy to get scammed. You know, you send money and say, Hey, let's grab that commercial facility. Let's order these cages, whatever. And then you get ghosted and you lose thousands and thousands of dollars or whatever. And so somehow I just made it happen. I'm going to try to do another one in another country too. But of course, like I feel like it, it might be impossible, but it's right now it's looking like it is, it is possible based on, 
people that have come into my life in, in another country. And, and I, maybe I, maybe I have my model, you know, like how I, like, this is what worked in this country. So let me try over here in this country to try to sort of follow that, that same business model and maybe it'll work, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, but again, am I leaving people in the dust by showing all this stuff? You know, people just going, there's no way I could ever do that. <laughs> so I don't know, but I'm going to continue showing and documenting and, and doing all that. So yeah, it's, it has uh, to be done. Yeah. I, I'm really curious about, I mean, like what your kind of vision or goal is with like, with like, with, you know, you, you've already described your Malaysian facility um, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. But and then now there's the potential of this other facility somewhere else. But, um, you know, typically, you know, when people think about like import export as it relates to reptiles, it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty bleak image usually that comes to mind. And I know yeah, that dirty. It, like, yeah, it's dirty. <laughs> and you do things, you do things really differently. And I have the sense that also you're kind of, you're kind of meeting this niche that I feel has needed to be met for a long time in herpetoculture, which is um, designing better model processes for import export. Um, you know, building, building the infrastructure and the groundwork to do it right. Um, and so I'm curious if that's, if that aligns with like what I'm saying aligns with, with, with your goals and like kind of how you see it and just where you stand with all of that. That also is very interesting because I can't pin it down myself. I obviously wear two hats. I am mm -hmm. a hobbyist, but I'm also involved in business in the, in this thing. So I'm a retiree. I have a pension not related to animals. I'm in a pretty comfortable position. I don't need to be doing any of this animal stuff for money. Uh, that is one of the big things that makes me different because most importers, they do not care about anything other than making money. I mean, mm -hmm. Some of them will give their animals water and maybe let it sit for a couple of days before they sell it to a customer. A lot of them won't. It's a dirty business, just like I used that word just a few minutes ago. Um, but in my opinion, those people are not hobbyists. They maybe were hobbyists way back, but they're not. They're chasing dollars. I'm still chasing animals. Like I have a list of animals that I would say the the majority of that list, the hobby doesn't even know that they exist. You would have to Google it and go, wow, I didn't even know that genus. I never even mm -hmm. heard of that genus before. And I don't share those lists because I don't want people in my way. Like I'm trying to acquire these new animals and I will share them at some point when the time is right. But, you know, for me to just share it on social media and now next thing I know, I'm going to have like 200 youngsters on Facebook going, my, my new bucket list. Look, I just Googled mm -hmm. this picture of this. And then they just, they're going to start regurgitating this Latin name over and over and over and over again. And then it just kind of snowballs into a thing that gets in my way. So I'm still chasing animals that I, that aren't in the hobby that I want to try to bring to the hobby. And I want to try to breed them in my facility um, first, rather than like, I don't want to just get like, you know, 38, of these whatevers and export them to the U S to make a bunch of money. Like I just want, 
I want a, a trio or, or a couple pairs or something, put them in my facility, try to breed them. And then, of course, while I'm doing that, bring awareness to the animal. And I've already had, like, I've already set myself up with the possibility that I can, I can produce and, and get those animals established for the hobby. And so I switched back and forth, like, like almost like a chameleon, right? So I'll be talking business, you know, I know, and I, I'm really good at adjusting how I'm talking, not like a shyster, but like, I know that if I'm talking to this guy and he's, he is my only shot at getting like a few of these species in my facility, but that guy's a businessman. I got to talk to him like a businessman. So now all of a sudden I got to, I got to, I can't, I don't, I can't really let on that. I want those for myself because I want to breed them. I have to talk business. So now I got, I know that money is the thing that's that motivates that guy. So I got to do that. I got to play that, that role. Um, and then sometimes, you know, over here I'm talking like a hobbyist, but I'm more comfortable doing talking like a hobbyist because that's, that's what I am. I'm not really breeding things to make, to make money. I'm just, doing stuff to see if I can do it. Mm. And, and even, even the expansion of me being able to maybe like the Malaysia thing is, is a success, at least as of right now, it's set up. Animals are there. There's more animals there that I'll be over there in, in two weeks and I'll be highlighting like some new stuff, but, uh, but it's a success. I haven't been screwed. My partner is like a brother to me. My employees are great. That's a, that's a success. Like that's awesome. It doesn't need to make money. My partner wants it to make money because he's a businessman. He's not, mm. he's not a hobbyist. He's a businessman. So when, even when I talk to him, I have to always like flavor it up with money, you know, where it's like, Hey, if you can get, if you can get a breeding pair of those or whatever, I think in the U S I can sell those for this much. And then it's like, Oh, and then the eyebrow goes up and I got his interest, you know, and whatever. But for me, I don't care if any of that stuff makes money or not. I have a cool facility with really cool animals in it. I get to open that door and walk through there and feel really proud. The facility is evolving. Like there, there's big cage upgrades coming and all kinds of stuff. But, um, it's great for advertising. You know, I don't, I feel like I don't even care to show it, advertise animals, whatever. Like I don't even care. I just love going through there because that's like, to me, that's like my personal collection of animals, but I have to constantly be putting a spin on it to my partner, you know, where it's kind of like, Hey, worst case scenario is great advertising because we're showing like how legit we are and what we're doing over here. Nobody else is doing that. Show me a farm, show me, show me a facility. Nobody's showing anything. And there's a reason, you know, because the, it, it's, it's dirty and, and, and it's just not done right. And so um, I don't know what my goal is, but I feel like part of it is just to, just to do stuff to see if I can do it. Mm-hmm. Like it just, just to see if I can do it, you know, like I made mention that I'm trying to do something in another country, a second country. I just want to see if I can do it. You know, it, it's going to cost some money. It's, it's, a it's, 
it's a risk if it goes down that path and we decide to kind of, okay, let's see if we can do this. But it's more just like a personal challenge just to see, just to see if, see if I can do it. Will it make money? Yeah, probably it will, you know, cause we set up, um, you know, captive breeding and quotas and production quotas, and it establishes all kinds of different things and opens more possibilities, but it's, uh, I don't need, I don't know what my goals are. I have no idea. My wife is always telling me you're retired. Like you should just live like, live like a retiree. And it's like, yeah, but you don't understand. Like, this is, this is, this is my, this feeds me. It keeps me going. It motivates me. And so I don't even know. I I don't know. I have construction going on across the street right now, as I mentioned, big Mm -hmm. plot of land over there. Um, Things are not as expensive here and not as expensive to have things done here as they would be, especially in the U.S., but um, $6,000 to bring the level of the dirt up high because when it rains, if you have like low level, it turns into like a swampy, gross thing. So we have to build the dirt up. So it's like a couple acres. And so I'm spending right now. It's, it's costing six grand. There's an excavator. There's four dump trucks. And it's like, I think they said it was like 1,400 dump trucks worth of dirt that they're digging out of the back of our property to build up the front part of the property. So it's like, why am I doing that? Because I want to move my my three emu across the street and give them like a big proper run. And what else am I going to do? I have no idea. But... <laughs> It's kind of like that. It's like, I don't know where it's going to go, but I also met like a really big um, animal import export guy here in Thailand. And he's actually interested in eyeballing it because he wants a central location where he can house. um, He does a lot with mammals and primates, giraffes, African lions, all this kind of stuff. And I know that that guy's eyeballing whatever we have going on across the street because he's he may at some point, I'm just speculating, but I'm sure he's thinking about maybe, you know, like approaching us and saying, hey, I need a spot where I can put these and that and all these things. And so I don't know where any of this stuff is leading. All I know is that my emu are going to have like a big, a big run over there. But there might be other weird stuff over there because this guy might want to get into some partnership and have us, you know, do put animals over there. So there's so many things happening that my brain knows, like my brain kind of like arranges and and shuffles it and keeps it in order and prioritizes things based on dates and things. and, And so, but I don't know where any of this is going. I have no idea. I just think it's exciting every day when I wake up and I look at my WhatsApp, you know, and I'm like, oh, cool. That dude from whatever country just sent me a message, you know, and I'm like, what is this? You know, and it's like, yeah, cool, cool. If I wake up and I have no messages, I'm kind of like, eh. <laughs> I want some yeah. update. I want some something to be happening, you know. So I, I don't know. I don't know where, where all of this is leading. I have no mm-hmm. idea. No idea. That's really <laughs> just along for the ride. Yeah. yeah 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 that's extremely cool stuff to hear you know uh, i've i've always been a little bit intrigued by the differences between you know you have certain individuals who you meet in life who are really highly goal oriented and you know 
you have different kinds of what that means, but a lot of the people that I meet feel like, you know, I feel like a lot of them have had a relatively clear idea about where they're headed in their life or had like a, you know, some kind of trajectory in mind. And I never really related to that. I, I feel like I relate more to what you're talking about your experiences being like, which is more of like this um, sort of, you know, you pursue the things that you're interested in and then somehow this weird set of goals and directions unfolds from what you're pursuing out of your own interest anyway. Like, okay, maybe, I, you know, it's like people ask, I've had, you know, when people ask me a similar question, it's like, what are your goals for the next 10 years? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm not really sure exactly what those things are. I have about a half a dozen things I'm working on, but I don't know where they're going to go. And it sounds like that you're, that that's sort of what you're describing. Is that fair? It is, except I retired on my 50th birthday in 2020. So I made it to retirement. So mm -hmm. as far as like a life goal to where it's like, okay, now I have a lifetime pension. I'm, I'm good. I busted my ass 31 and a half years at this job. Now I get a pension. I'm retired at a relatively young age, you know, comparing to the average age of people retiring. And so that, that goal has been met. And so now the goal is, the goal is don't blow all your money. Make sure you don't ex overextend yourself. Keep yourself grounded and you're, you know, like keep yourself in a good spot, a good safe spot, but just continue throwing chumming all the water, you know, and just like seeing what else comes up, you know, mm. I get, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like that, like when you watch those, um, outer banks like tuna fishermen you know it's like you already got yeah. one or one or two big tuna on the deck that's your payday you're good to go but i still have like another two hours out here so let me see maybe i can land another fish or two or whatever and so mm -hmm. that's kind of where where i'm at um you know because I, I mean i'm older than you guys you know i'm 52 years old so i've been retired for a couple of years I'm out here, I'm living, I have my house, everything's paid for. And so now just sort of, you know, live within my means and just continue to do stuff and see maybe some cool stuff will, will, you know, more doors are opening and more cool stuff will happen. And I'm constantly having people asking me to uh, become business partners in a lot of different things. And it, it doesn't have anything to do, like, I'm not rich. It has nothing to do with, with me sitting here with money or those people wanting money. In some, in, in a lot of the uh, instances, very wealthy people were coming, you know, they, they come to me and they're like, would you be interested in being a business partner? Because just because they, they, they warm up to me, there's like a connection. They can kind of sense like, my my honesty and my integrity and that kind of thing and so usually i'm kind of like ah i really appreciate your offer um and i'm honored that you feel that way about me but i'm just i'm just not looking to put that amount of stuff on my plate right now or whatever you know and it's like i find myself turning down more than what i'm willing to take on mm -hmm. and yeah. and it's cool like it, it's it's really cool you know cuz I'm like, when, when people like me and, and I, I'm really cool with everybody. I'm very like, just, um, sincere. 
there's a lot of things that there's a lot of things that come into play when you're in business, especially when you're traveling to other countries. You have to be a certain type of person and portray yourself a certain way. You have to be interesting. You have to be a little bit unique. There has to be some intrigue there. Um, and people kind of have to gravitate to you in a way. And that helps open doors. And the reason I'm bringing that up is like, I have a lot of people that message me and go, Hey, I want to get into importing. Like I just had one yesterday, right? I want to get into importing. Like what's the best way for me to find supplier and do this and do that. And it's like, okay, so, so I should just fly over to Indonesia and just like hook up with an exporter and, and go about it that way. And then like, I click over to the profile and I look and I'm like, this kid looks like he's about 19 years old and, and he doesn't look, he doesn't look interesting. He doesn't like, I I'm, I'm trying to put myself in like pretend like, okay, I'm a big, I'm a huge exporter. I have tons of customers and I've been doing this business for like 20 something years. And this, this young kid is going to show up on my doorstep and try to convince me that he's like the next, strictly you know buying in volume and all that stuff and i'm like you're just gonna get laughed at like mm -hmm. you know and so so there's a lot of there's a lot of human things that that need to happen that open doors as well and i've always just been really good at it i've never had to like fake fake it i've always been like sincere and all that but i know you know these dudes they they look at me and they're just like I don't look like a foreigner, like the normal foreigner that comes to this country. Like, 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 you know what I mean? And so mm -hmm. um, there's interest there. They don't know who I am or what I'm about, but, but there's an image. And then I'm very, very cool, very honest, very sincere, very generous and all that. And so like that also helps to open a lot of doors. My wife is a female Thai version of me. She's very sweet, very like, like she is, she's just like the female version of me, but in a foreign version. And so like, we work great together. So as we, even me bringing her around to meet with people, you know, like, uh, like I could be, I could be meeting with like some mafia dude and I got my wife with me. He don't have his wife with him because like his culture is like, no, this is the, the dudes do this. Like the guys do this, like there's no place for women here. But then when, and then I'm here and I got my little wife by my side and they're kind of like, wow, see, that's different. Like he, he has, he has a lot of respect for his wife. And then she speaks up sometimes and talks and this and that. And like, they're just, the whole thing works great. It's very interesting to them. And, um, and then next thing I know, they're like, there's doors opening, you know? And so um, it's just, I don't even know where I'm going with all that, but it's just that I get a lot of, a lot of people that, how do I do this? Like, how do I accomplish this? How do I accomplish that? And it's kind of like, you may be able to do it. You may not. I don't know. Cause it's mm -hmm. like, there's a human side to doing this. You don't have a lot of life experience. You might get rolled. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, but good luck, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it, it sounds like I know you've um, 
I know you've got some some stories in there <laughs> from from these experiences, like you know, dealing with folks, dealing with exporters, um, you know, coming over there, a fish out of water in some respects. And I'm curious if you if you if you could share an an, an encounter, a story with us from from your experiences, um, kind of diving into that. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. Um, some of my earlier experiences, like in Thailand, which is not a real great place to uh, to come to try to start that business because that business, this isn't really a good viable country to to engage in that type of business. Um, some of the other countries would have been better, but I started here and, you know, like one time uh, I was out to dinner with with one of the like the main players in Thailand and he was telling me there's always like a a flip side to it it's not always about you buying from them sometimes you know they're always they're not stupid they're kind of like well i might want to buy from you also you know so like can you get me this can you get me that at the time this one guy that i was dealing with he was um he was selling some animals to the prince of Thailand. And of course, you're talking about a massive amount, like budget-wise. And and so he, you know, he's asking me, can you get me albino iguanas? But this was a long time ago when they were like really, really expensive and, and stuff like that. And so um we were sitting at dinner and he was telling me about uh, tortoises, sulcata tortoises and, and some other ones. And he was talking about how the Chinese, like they like, uh, the number five in the scoots across the back because five is a lucky number. And so, uh, he was telling me like, if they have six, my wealthy Chinese buyers, they, they won't buy them. But if you get, if you can get them with five, um, like I could make a lot of money on that if you could like get a hold of those and export those to me. And I was kind of like, because of the language barrier, I was like, I think I understand. So like, you know, I'm like making my hand like this and I'm like, okay, so five, right? Like five, like one, two, three, four, five. And then he gets his keys and he hands his keys to his daughter and tells her something. She goes into the car, which was parked just like right there. And I had no idea, but there were like, a thousand baby radiated tortoises in the back of this guy's car and she brought Whoa. one. Yeah. And, and this was back. Like, like we're talking like 15, 17, 18 years ago, a long time ago. And so, um, he, he had her bring back, uh, a radiated tortoise and put it on the table. And then it, like, that was the living example. He was like, do you see right here? One, two, three, four, five, you know? And I'm like, I'm, I was feeding it something off my plate at the dinner table, but um, it was a trip because then afterward, like I follow, I followed her back to the car when she put it back and there were just these like wooden pallets, like just flat, like flat pallet after pallet after pallet. And the whole back of this guy's vehicle was just stacked, just full of radiated tortoises, you know? And of course they were all smuggled. They were all smuggled in from somewhere, you know, probably directly from, you know, Madagascar or the rumor had it like, uh, the, the military commander at the time in Myanmar, 
was he was into tortoises himself. And so he he had all of the star tortoises and all that stuff. Like it was kind of like here in Thailand, the the royal family te- technically kind of owns all of the albino elephants and white elephants. And if there's ever like an albino elephant or or a white elephant that kind of like is born just randomly, it, it, it kind of like automatically belongs to the royal family and then they just scoop it up and it becomes theirs. So it's something kind of like that similar in Myanmar where, well, I don't know now, it's probably, there's probably been so many coups and all kinds of overthrowings and stuff. But um, at that time, the military commander that was in charge of the country, like he, he took like all the Burmese stars and all those tortoises, like they all belong to him. And so that, you know, a lot of stuff was like smuggled over all those borders and all that. That's not like a super exciting um, story, but to me, it was kind of a trip. I was like, wow. Now for me being over here, like all the, the smuggling, like I, I was offered three Komodo dragons in Bangkok for sale two weeks ago that I saw <laughs> with my, my own eyes. And so like, there's a lot, there's a lot of smuggling going on over here a lot. And so I heard you could like, not- go have those with the emus really, really well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there, like nothing surprises me anymore over here. What I see it's, it's a trip. Uh, smuggling is almost like normal. It, mm-hmm. it, it's so corrupt and there's so much weird stuff. I've, I've gained like a new insight to that. And it's like the government here in this country makes legal importing so crazy and difficult that they almost like are pushing, they're pushing everybody like just to smuggle because it's, it's just so much easier. It incentivizes it. Yeah. But there's something else that's weird that goes on. So like I had a friend that imported a shipment here to here in Thailand from Egypt, a legal shipment it shipped via airlines with permits, with everything. It, it was boxed correctly. Um, and, and like everything was legit, but the officials used some weird um, rules or laws to confiscate the shipment. And clearly it was because, in my opinion, some of those officials, they, they wanted those, they wanted that shipment for themselves. So they, they used whatever rule, whatever law it was, some weird, obscure thing, and they turned it into a whole mess. They confiscated the shipment, and then a couple of those wildlife officials were then selling those animals themselves within Thailand here to hobbyists. So it's like, yeah. so you can't even like do things the right way and, and trust that it's going to go the way it's supposed to go because it's, it's like so corrupt. You're like, man, I hope that I have all my documents in order. But if this one guy decides that he wants what's in those boxes, he's going to use some weird rule or some weird law to confiscate my shipment. And then he's going to be selling those like basically to my customers. And so it's just weird. So I, I just, so I have like kind of a newer insight into things. Um, the more that I talk and kind of, gain people's trust and they start talking to me and telling me a lot of these things that have happened to them. And it's kind of like, yeah, not that I'm like trying to become like the next smuggler or anything, but it's just, uh, it's just, it's, it's interesting to me when you can find out exactly how things are working 
you know, in all these different places. So yeah. it's kind of, but yeah. um, one, one time I've told this story before, uh, same guy with the, with the radiated tortoise thing on the dinner table. So that guy, um, he offered me some geckos, some native geckos for, for an export. And so I ordered a healthy amount um, of Curtidactylus, like Pulchellus and some other stuff from comes from the south of Thailand. And so the shipment came. There weren't any of those geckos in it. There was some other stuff in it that I ordered. There was other stuff in the shipment that I didn't order. There was a lot of DOA. A lot of animals were really poor quality and all this. And so um, he owed me. It was like about four, like 4,500 in losses. And so mm. he agreed that he would um, make good on it. Come to my shop tomorrow morning, bring proof of your wire. So I can know like the amounts of money that we're talking about. And then I'll, I'll make good on it. And so I went to his shop when I walked in there, there were like a couple young kind of shady dudes in there that I never seen before kind of just hanging mm. out. So I already had like a weird vibe that something wasn't right. And then the guy like flipped the script on me. He told me that uh, he goes, I sent, I sent my two collectors down to the South to collect your geckos that you ordered. They, they were in a national inside of a national park. They got caught. They went to jail. I had to pay this much money to get, get my workers out of jail and that amount of money exceeds the amount of money that I owe you. Therefore, you owe me the difference because, because that's your fault. And so at that point, I was like, oh, this is, this is shady. Like, this is really shady. And so I had to, like, really posture and make myself look like I was getting ready to, like, lose my mind and, like, do, like, an incredible Hulk thing and slam my fist down on his table and all this stuff. And I had to like, kind of scare his two little shady characters in the shop to like, to the point where I could just sort of slip out the door, like bang my way out the door and just bail because I didn't know what was, I didn't know what was about to go down. It was, uh, it was really, really sketchy. I went back to my hotel and I was, kind of in fear for my life. And so I instantly checked out of that hotel because he knew where I was staying and I booked myself into another hotel and I called my, mm. I called my family from Thailand. And I told them, I'm like, I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm supposed to fly home. I'm supposed to land tomorrow morning or whatever it was. There's some crazy stuff happening. If I don't get off the plane, this is the hotel that I'm staying at. Like, this is where you yeah. should start to look for me, whatever. And so that was like a really scary thing. And um, it put a pause on my, on my importing adventures for a, a good couple of years. Not mm -hmm. like just because it, it wasn't so much because I was afraid. It was just like, if this is, if this is an example of how the rest of this whole venture is going to be like i just don't even want to deal with it like this is bs like i just don't want to like if it's this impossible i don't want to i just don't want to go down that road so that was a bit crazy that was pretty sketchy and the, the thing that really messed me up that irritated me or maybe uncomfortably laugh at it was when i found my way to malaysia 
shortly thereafter to the same guy that I'm partnered with in my facility and the same supplier of Malaysian animals now. He knew the guy, of course, because we get now, you know, we've got a gossip, you know, now it's like, hey, you ever heard of this guy in Bangkok? Boy, he really screwed me, whatever. And he's like, yeah, I send animals to him all the time. And then I showed him a picture of the geckos and I told him the whole story. And then he told me, he goes, he goes, I send him those geckos from here in Malaysia. So the, that yeah. whole that whole story about his workers getting busted and national parks and all that stuff. I felt good because I was like, I don't want anybody going into the national parks and collecting my, my order, you know, illegally. And so like that kind of bothered me. actually, I never asked anybody to do that, but uh, even that story was bullshit because my, my, uh, my my supplier was like, no, those are even my boxes. Like that's my packaging. Those, <laughs> those plastic boxes. He goes, I guarantee you that those that those are for me. And so it was like, wow, that's so shady, so freaking yeah. shady. Yeah. So yeah, it's just it's it's weird. Um, lots of lots of weird stuff like that. That was probably like the the craziest thing. But um, luckily, I found my way to some decent people. Uh, after that and i don't think i can really tell you like all the all the crazy details well i don't know maybe i can i've been following the story of um so i dealt i did business in indonesia for quite a while and uh i thought i had become pretty good friends with this guy and he shared a lot with me about stuff um he was a foreigner, not, not Indonesian. And so, um, so, you know, we, he kind of, he took a liking to me because I also am a foreigner and I married a Thai woman and, 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 you know, I'm building a house in Thailand at the time. And so he's like, yeah, I, I came here as a foreigner in Indonesia and I married an Indonesian woman and I built this business and blah, blah, blah. And so, I've been following along. I lost him as a supplier, uh, maybe like two or three years ago. And so, uh, he's been making headlines there and you have to like translate all the, all the, the updates in the media and stuff. But, uh, basically he was, uh, he, he was staying in Indonesia. Um, oh man, how can I say this? He kind of, because of the systems are are corrupt, he used mm-hmm. those systems as a means to stay in Indonesia, not really mm-hmm. legally. And so, mm-hmm. uh, he's his his marriage has come to an end, and he is she's fighting for property and things and businesses, and he's also trying to fight back, and he's now facing. Uh, deportation and overstay and all kinds of really crazy stuff. But um, that's for me, like that's really crazy <laughs> because I, yeah. I knew, you know, so like I, I knew a lot of this stuff kind of, I knew, I knew some of it was going on, but I never expected it to just completely backfire on him like it did, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
So I, I don't really talk to him anymore. Um, through no, like we, neither of us, neither of us ever did anything to each other, but I don't know, maybe he's embarrassed. Maybe it's because there's no more money flow from me as a customer. So he doesn't, uh, doesn't really have a need for me anymore at this point or whatever, but I do kind of keep tabs on the situation. So I think that's pretty weird. Um, you know, and it's somebody, it's somebody that, that like they're named in some of those, the books, you know, around all the Crutchfield yeah. stuff and all that. Like he's, he's one of the names in, in those books and, and, um, a lot of history and different things going on behind it. But, um, things like that just trip me out. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff like that. And there's a lot of, when you're sitting with people, you know, and you're hearing about, did you hear what this guy did? Did you hear what that guy did? And it's not like, it's not like in the U S where we get a, a news release of operation Viper. And, you know, you see, Oh, oh Joseph, and this guy, finally they got him and all the, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's not like that. Like over there, like you, you get, you, you hear some really crazy stuff, you know, about, mm-hmm. you know, did you hear about that guy? Did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? And it's just like, wow. And then for me, I draw, I like, I connect all the dots, you know? So like, if I'm hearing all these stories over there about this, this and that, and then I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's such and such a supplier in the U S you know? And then I'm, and then I'm like, I bet you that guy in the U S has no clue. Cause he never flies. <laughs> you know, he just stays at his desk. Yeah. And, reads email or whatever and 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 it's like wow you know and then i just sit back and you know maybe there's something brewing and then i just sit back and wait and i go oh boy that u.s importer just wait he's got something coming (laughs) it's it's a it's kind of a sobering thing to hear these kinds of stories you know just because like i mean that's the way the whole system functions right is that like it's based on externalities it's like the end consumer doesn't see any of any of it. You know, all they see is their cute little, you know, wild caught gecko in the deli cup at the expo table, but they have no idea of like the, (laughs) the intermediate steps that it took before it got there and who was involved, um, who was harmed, who, who benefited, you know, it's, it's really interesting to kind of hear from the other side a little bit, you know, it is. It totally is. And part of the reason, like, it, I'm not very vocal on social media. I, I consume stuff, but I don't choose to like engage, but I see a lot of posts, a nauseating amount of posts of people, you know, that are like, you know, all, just countless, you know, fidget spinners and putting outfits on my whatever. And, and, and just, you know, like people uh, like handling and doing different things. Not that handling is a bad thing, but just like mm-hmm. in really weird, you know, snakes crawling across, you know, girls' nipples and then advertising OnlyFans <laughs> and like whatever it is. Like, I, there's so much, so much. And it's like, and I'm, and I'm sitting here thinking, do you have any idea what it took? Like, like I, I find a lot of that stuff like really disrespectful to mm-hmm. the process because 
It's like you have no idea. Like you, you're yeah. gonna go go to battle with somebody on social media because, you know, because they're they're whatever is in a in a whatever whatever it ends up being, you know. And you just see all these petty little fights and all that, and it's just like, what? Like you guys just don't get it. Like you just you have no you have no clue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I and I keep my mouth shut about about pretty much everything because sometimes it takes an extreme amount of effort and methods mm-hmm. to get certain animals into the hobby. And mm-hmm. that's like a bad look for the hobby. And so I try to do the right thing rather than making like some sensational video, which would be awesome for views. I just choose to like keep my mouth shut about it and and like just whatever the the process like that's the process that that happens but then exactly like what you're what you've brought up and then these people have no they have no clue they have no clue like what goes into a lot of the stuff how it how the whole thing really works the amount of it's dude it's insane i here 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 this is this 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 will drive it home. Here's a story for you. So Grabowski, those the beauty rat snakes from Sumatra, yep. they they became a like a really big deal. They're still kind of a big deal, but they they were a really big deal. I was the first to get those in the US. They were coming from Sumatra. Um one guy, one collector, and he it was during the pandemic, and they shut down um a lot of the borders of the provinces. So we still wanted to get our animals out in our shipments and whatever, but the, but transporting animals during the pandemic was really crazy. So a guy, the trapper had some of those animals that he wild caught, he was transporting them to Jakarta. And if you're in a commercial truck those trucks are supplying like they're doing supply runs of different types of goods. So they're allowed to cross the province, the provincial borders. So the guy, he was riding shotgun in this semi truck, this commercial truck that was towing, you know, like the back was loaded with whatever. And um, they got stopped at some checkpoint and they searched the truck and they found the snakes. They confiscated the snakes. And uh, I think they, they just released the snakes back out. In, into the jungle it's like okay fine so fail like so those those animals didn't make it then the um they they were going to do another a second attempt so now they were on a i think the pandemic was starting to kind of loosen a little bit so they now they were on like a passenger bus and so the guys on the bus along with like all kinds of other passengers and the snakes were like in the luggage compartment or whatever and um the bus broke down and something was wrong with the axle or I don't, I don't remember the specifics, but they, they put the bus up on blocks to try to fix whatever was wrong with the the one wheel. And normally like the, like the bus would have gotten like fully, fully checked at the checkpoint or whatever. Right. So they were just hoping that, they wouldn't go through the luggage and that the snakes would cross the, the border in like within the country, just cross into another province, make it to Jakarta make it to the farm, make the shipment and all that stuff. Well, the driver of the bus was underneath the bus and the blocks 
gave out and his head got crushed underneath the axle. Oh my like, God. Oh. Just exploded like, like a watermelon. Right. So now oh the bus God. company, the bus company sends another bus for the passengers and the police come and military come and all that. It's a big fate, you know, fatality thing, of course, and all this stuff. So all the passengers load up on the, on the other bus and it's such a messed up situation that nobody gets searched. The luggage doesn't get searched. No, nothing gets checked and the snakes make it onto the next bus and they, well, they cross with ease, you know, into the, mm-hmm. the next province over and they make the shipment and it's like, okay. And then now we're at an expo, right. And, mm-hmm. and, like I never sold any at an expo, but let's just say, for example, using that example, which really did happen. Mm-hmm. And like now there's a dude at the expo and he's like, you know, he's like doing Facebook live, you know, check out my beauty <laughs> record, whatever. And it's wow. like, dude, you have no idea. Like, like a, a guy yeah. lost his head, like for, you know, yeah. I don't know. It's just crazy. But, the, but though, like, that's a really extreme example of sometimes what it takes to get animals into like the hobby, you know, mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. indirectly, like that story, you know, it's like a, just something that happened. But um, if that, if the driver didn't crawl under there and, and, and the bus didn't collapse, uh, maybe the luggage would have gotten searched at the border and those animals would have been confiscated again and they wouldn't have made the shipment or whatever, you know? And it's yeah. just like yeah. things like that, the hobby has no idea. They have no idea yeah. what, what times, you know. And then and yeah. then you just you know and then and then you know, here's the girl with the, the same snake, you know, across her her nipples and going check out my only fan you know and you're just like oh my gosh really you know <laughs> yeah it, it's definitely very strange to see the way that um the commodification of all this stuff that we mm-hmm. consume is in some ways masks is like masked by layers uh between when we receive it and whenever it originated wherever it's going to originate i mean even like you know, our, all of our smartphones have like all this oh, cobalt yeah. in it. Cobalt comes from just straight up slave labor and it's yeah. just like, and horrific slave labor. And it's just like, Oh, okay. I, I've, I've had smartphones for 15 years. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Great. I didn't know that at all. It's, yeah. it's horrifying. It throws you through a loop, but it's even weirder when you're talking about animals that, um, you know, like we're keeping for you know mostly for fun and it it, it's yeah it's just a very strange dichotomy when people take stuff that you know we feel in a lot of ways we try to take very seriously and we you know um most of the people that i know or that i'm friends with kind of try to drive towards having a more holistic view of what they're doing and why they're doing it and what it takes to get what they have but then, you know, you go into some of these groups and some of these places on different media sites and people throw around rumor ab- mm-hmm. about how these animals get there as if it's known fact or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's like it with Euromastics, right? I mean, that's kind of my primary focus and specialty is, you know, people always say, oh, I bought a farm bread 
Euromastics. I'm like, what farm? Like, what farm are you talking about? Like, show me some damn evidence of these Euro farms all over the Middle East and North Africa. Let's see it, yeah. you know? Yeah. And yeah. It, but, the, but, it, but it gets thrown around like it's totally, oh yeah, no, no, it's the, it's a farm bread. And it's just this total separate, uh, it's just an mm-hmm. extra layer of mystification between the people selling the stuff and the people who actually end up buying it. And I feel like that lines up really directly with when people try to, again, like you're saying, commoditize an animal for the sake of their own likes. It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's from one extreme to another. And also like the, the importers that are the ones that are selling, I think most of them also don't even know because their only mission in life is to, Get get those shipments in with some good sellable stuff and flip it and sell it right. and and then on to the next shipment. They don't ever really go and inspect and like, okay, so show me all the show me all your breeder whatever's. Like I'd, yeah. I'd like to see, I'd like to see you know your setup and I like to look like where do you incubate all the eggs and and let me see this and let me see that or whatever they don't go over there because yeah. that's just going to cost them money on a plane ticket where they could just be sitting sitting back behind their computer and and you know sending a wire and getting another shipment in most of them don't even live around a, a port of entry you know like yeah. uh, some of the biggest importers are like they're in. I don't know, Colorado, Texas, whatever. Where are their animals landing? LAX. They're mm-hmm. they're not even going to the airport. Like they're just paying people to, you know, get it in, clear it, put it on another plane. Like they're very, very disconnected from from a lot of stuff. And that's why through our YouTube channel, like another thing, like there's a, so many things, but like you're talking about people on the internet talking about this farm bread thing. How many times have you heard somebody say, "Oh, I I brought in whatever. I brought in yeah, whatever." I brought in. Yeah. Yeah, me. Like what do you mean yeah. you brought in? Like I don't really care so much, but it's like when you see me go to the airport and clear a shipment and load it in my truck and all that, like I like that's bringing it in like you you're yeah, an importer yeah. or whatever. Just You received a box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, and it came through FedEx. You know, yeah, overnight. <laughs> you brought it in. I, I was watching. Oh, I, I hate to admit it. I watched a part of Dave Kaufman's Madagascar thing, mm-hmm. and one of the little kid, the the little like YouTuber bunch that he had, like one of them was like, "I brought in, I brought in six of these, uh, whatever chameleons or whatever." And I'm thinking, I'm looking at the kid, I'm going. Oh, so you're so you're a big importer in Canada. You 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 brought, you're bringing in chameleons from Madagascar. Okay, right on. You know, and it's <laughs> I'm just like, oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so many things. Um, one thing that one thing that we often talk about is kind of switching gears a little bit, but we often kind of make this comparison. You know, talking about the differences between. Um, American herpetoculture versus how how it presents in Europe, um, you know, and you know, we I, I like to think of herpetoculture as um, as a global trade, and it is at this point. However, uh, I have to admit I'm really insulated from you know how it presents in 
in Southeast Asia or just Asia more generally. So I'm curious, like, what is it like for you, you know, um, as someone who is who's obviously very experienced in American herpetoculture, how does it differ in Southeast Asia? Um, like, does it feel like it's in a totally different stage of development? Yeah. What do you, what do you say there? Um, my, my feeling is that people in Southeast Asia are really, really, really good at acquiring things, but they're not all really, really good at husbandry and keeping things alive. They're like, cause you're like, you'll see, you'll see, you know, you'll see something and you'll be like, my gosh, where, like, where did you get that from? You know, like really something really, really difficult to, to acquire. But then, but then you'll be like, and why is that water bowl empty? Like, why is it still in the, why is it yeah, still sure. in the plastic bottle? You know, like I, I saw it here three days. I was just here three days ago and it's still in the, in the shipping, you know, they ship a lot of stuff in, in, uh, you know, like they'll, they'll put like snakes in a water bottle with yeah. no, you know, no water oh, in it, of course. Yeah. It's yeah. like, and you'll see, like, I'll be looking at it and going, my gosh, that viper is so rare, like crazy. And then I'll come back three days later. It's still in the bottle. And I'm like, mm. man, come on, you guys, yeah. you know, that's not everybody, of course, but it's just uh, kind of generally speaking, I just feel like really good at acquisition uh, in general and, and not real good at keeping things long-term. Um, Caging is way behind where other countries are at and that sort of thing. I think to generalize, Europeans are really good at keeping. They're really good at breeding. Um, they're pretty good at acquisition too, of course. Um, but uh, <laughs> legally. Pretty good by whatever means. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I used to make a joke. It's like, how do those lanthanotas feel like going up your rectum? Too? Like, that's, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, pick something that feels a little better, but um, yeah, something without osteoderms, please. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, like that. Uh, that's kind of sort of how I feel about it. in In the U.S., it's a whole range of like good keepers and not so good keepers, and and different stuff like that. Uh, the the like EU has um, a lot of regulation anyway as far as um, practices and cage you know like uh, size requirements and all that like they regulate a lot of um, the keeping mm -hmm. they actually also regulate uh, it might just be the UK um, the feeding of like live prey is I think not allowed. So I think mm. some, I think oh, wow. okay, but like live feeding is not, and there's just a lot, like they're really involved, like the, the government regulates a lot of their stuff. So they have a lot of minimum requirements as far as caging and stuff like that. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I think most people, especially Americans, they don't want government telling them how to do things, but, um, but Hell no. But I think, you know, it, uh, it 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 helps their their husbandry and their keeping practices, but um, yeah. but Europeans are really 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 good at breeding and 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 doing that kind of thing. So, 
that kind of brings me to a, a, a sort of peripherally related question, which is, um, you know, you were just saying like, you know, Americans don't like people or uh, Americans tend not to like government getting involved in their day to day choices about what they can and can't do. Um, but but you were also talking about how in the EU they have a lot of real strict regulation around like minimum cages, cage sizing and things like this. And I've said before on this show, um, something to the effect of like, you can't just go buy a horse and put it in your backyard. Right. And so on some level, um, I'm really intrigued by the potential for regulation to like, obviously really benefit all the animals involved because we got to think about their concerns as well. But at the same time, in my mind, the more regulation and more involved you get, that should mean the more allowance I have to keep what I want and to keep various things, you know? So like one of, um, you know, we, we've also talked about how, you know, in Australia, you can keep the native herbs, but you can't keep other stuff. And then here it's like reversed, right? So in the States, it's like, you can, well, I mean, obviously you can keep some U.S. natives, right? Like nobody cares about corn snakes or cow kings or any of these other things, but you want to keep a chuckwalla, you want to keep a collared lizard, you want to keep you know, Gila or something, things get way squirrelier, which is super bizarre. So the, I guess my question is, um, what are, what are your like personal feelings about like regulation and how, like when it's good, when it's bad and any ideas about how these things could be more well put together and work in concert in a way? I think the, the biggest concern is who's making the regulations. Like, do, do they even know what they're regulating? Because that's that seems to be the biggest problem is the the people that are that are putting all this this legislation out and, and all these regulations out. They don't know anything about what they're talking about. Like they like they're not yeah. they're not experts and and they won't consult outside people. You know, all they'll do is get like special interest people to come in and act as like they're you know consultants or whatever. And then you're going to get like more skewed information. So I don't know. I'm not like, it, it's, I don't know. It's weird. I, I'm, I'm guilty of not keeping everything like as, as best as I could as, you know, like I like tubs. I like, I like racks and, and a lot of the modular stuff. Um, I'm not cramming, you know, like a seven foot retic into a 16 quart sterilite box, but, you know, but like some of my tubs are, are really big and oversized and I'm keeping small stuff in them. And a box is a box is a box. As long as it's, you know, it's big enough. I like them. Sure. They're, they're clean. They're efficient. It's easy, easy for me to, you know, like when you're keeping like a big amount of animals, it's easy for you to like, okay, I'm going to do water bowls on this wall today and tomorrow I'm doing this and easy to heat and, and, and just on and on and on. So like, I, I guess I'm, I can also be found guilty of not like keeping those same animals into some beautiful, like naturalistic type vivariums or whatever. But, um, but I, I don't know. It, it's it's crazy. I do see some really, really big giant snakes crammed into some really, really, really small cages. And I think that's not good. But um but I, I, I don't know. I think it just boils down to the people that are making all of these rules and regs. Do they even know what they're talking about? You know, mm-hmm. because 
that, that's that that's some of the craziest stuff. Even like the like front like coming from like as an importer, even the wildlife officials that are doing the inspections, a lot of times they have no idea what they're looking at, but they're going to tell me, yeah, but they're going to tell me like, like, no, this, this is not the species that's on your paperwork. And it's like, no, but it is, you know, and, 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 but they don't know here. Here's an example. This is a true story. Go to the airport. I'm clearing an Indonesia shipment. Uh, a younger guy, a uh, younger inspector. It was only like the second time that I had dealt with the guy. Really cool dude. Um, I talked to him the first time and I, I'm always curious. I try to strike up conversations with these people and be friendly and all that. And um, he is a reptile guy. He had, he keeps reptiles himself. So I was like, oh, cool. So this, this is an inspector that like kind of knows knows what he's doing like okay good was the first encounter and it was no problem really nice guy we got along really well second time i go to clear a shipment in onesia there's green tree pythons in the shipment i'm waiting outside the sterile area and he's doing the inspection of the like you know the the prohibited area where only he's allowed to go in and do the inspection and he comes to the front and he goes, Hey, Dan, I need you to come back here. I have a couple questions for you. And he tells like the cargo staff, he goes, Hey, he's coming back here with me. Like I'm authorizing him to come back. So I go back and yeah, sure. What's going on? He's like, okay. So I open this box and he goes, this bet. So this bag, he like holds up this bag. He goes, this bag is, it says right on there is a green tree Python. He goes, and, and he opens it and he goes, and it's a green tree python in there. And then he wraps it up and puts it aside. He goes, okay, now look. He goes, you have these. He goes, there's red ones and yellow ones. And the bags say green tree pythons. He goes, but they're not green. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Mm-hmm. So I had to like, I was relieved when he told me that because I was like, cool. Now I have an opportunity to educate this mm-hmm. wildlife inspector but in the back of my mind i'm thinking how does this guy not know like yeah he's his vocabulary is- term for the day was ontogenetic color change <laughs> yeah right, right 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 so i was totally cool about it i didn't laugh at him like i was just like okay so this is how this works you know so some hatch out like this and some like this and blah 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 i even dug out and found one that was like halfway through color change so i could give him like uh, even more better mm-hmm. understanding and and so, but it's like, like that, but, but yet that guy has the power to confiscate everything because if he didn't, if he wasn't open to, to me explain, sorry, my cat is going nuts. I don't know if you can hear that. He's running. All over the place <laughs> okay. um, mm-hmm. So, the, so if he wasn't open to me, like educating and explaining it to him, he could have just taken like this hardline approach and just said, no, those mm. are supposed to green, and he could have confiscated my shipment. You know, I'm sure it would have been reversed, and his the lieutenant would have said, "Oh no, no, you're all screwed up." But, mm-hmm. but that's the guy that's ultimately, you know, making sure that you're going to have a good day or a bad day. You know, at the end of your inspection. So, by using that as an as an example, who are the people that would be making making all these these calls on on laws and regulation? 
Yeah. Do they know what they're talking about? Like, or, yeah. or what? No. And then what? And then they're going to say, well, we consulted with PETA and they provided us this, this consultant. And they said that, and, you know what I mean? And it's like, or, or yeah, HUS, whatever. HSUS is like, well, they provided this documentation that states this. And it's like, yeah, but those people all have an agenda, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. So I mean, it's just, it's an issue. Yeah. I mean, even here in, in, so I'm in Denver and we have uh PACFA is the kind of the governing body here that um, like regulates, you know, reptile shops and pet kennels and yeah. And uh, they send in inspectors to my shop every year, every year, once a year. And they have no idea what they're looking at. They don't know what a Euromastix is. They don't know what a Xenogama is. They have no idea. It's yeah. like, you're, you're, you're setting these and I don't mind it. These guys happen to be really cooperative and they're, you know, they just want to learn and, and, and understand what they're doing better. So they're not just coming to shove a bunch of rules down my throat or anything like that, but it is a super awkward interaction to be like, uh, you know, they'll say, well, you know, here it says that these all have to have, you know, water bowls all day long or whatever. I'm like, dude, come on. Like, it's just not, I mean, mine have water bowls. It's not the point. It's it's just that they have these ideas about what you've got to do. And, you know, if they weren't so understanding and open-minded, it would be really, really difficult to have to battle them on certain stuff, you know? I agree. I agree. And sooner or later, you might run into, you know, they, the the guys that you like the, the most are going to get transferred to some other office. And then you're going to get some totally. other guy. And then, and then, oh boy, you know, then it's, yeah. it's going to be bad. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. So I know that another thing that um that you practice quite a bit and that you're that you're passionate about is is field herping and getting out and finding these things where they are. And I've you know I've seen a lot of your your videos on YouTube, you know, in Thailand and elsewhere. And I'm curious about. I mean, I know that in a lot of these cases, you're, you're seeing animals in C2, the same species that you've kept, you know, and probably even seeing species that, you know, you kept back in the U S and now you're, you're seeing in their native range. And I'm just curious if that in any way has influenced or changed your perspective on keeping. Um, yeah. Is that, is that clear? It, um, first and foremost, it really, it, it it really messes you up when you see something <laughs> first time that you have seen your entire life in cages or deli cups or whatever. Mm-hmm. The first time you see that animal in the wild, you will never think about it the same ever again. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it really, really, it, it's super cool. It's, it's, it's amazing. But then kind of like the, the after effect is, wow like is this hobby like what yeah what i'm doing is this right or is this mm. wrong the mm-hmm. the and i've said this before like green tree pythons seeing them for the first time in the wild was that was mind blowing to me because i never seen one not in a box ever mm, right all of a sudden i'm seen in the wild and then 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 I saw another one and then I saw another one and then I saw another one. And then, and it's just like, it, uh, it like you're, it's never the same after that because then you start looking at your own animals and you're kind of like, okay, how, 
how can I like com- compartmentalize this in a way where I can sleep good at night, you know? And then you, mm-hmm. you have to like go, well, mm-hmm. these are in captivity and these are not. And I, I, I still struggle with it to this day. Like it's very, mm-hmm. it, it's, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's amazing to see stuff in the wild and it's awesome to be able to, to film it and document it and then let it go in the wild where it came from mm-hmm. like unharmed you just like set it free and like that's that's awesome but then you know that like let's like let's say a vine snake for example considered kind of a cheap garbage animal i guess to a lot of people you know it's a $15 snake or at least it, they used to be like under $10 and and yeah it's just a vine snake you know like it's not a big deal you see one in the wild like i'm it, that that's like over the top for me amazing watching this vine snake in this tree or like it's just amazing mm-hmm. and then and then you may go or for me like i might go to like a wholesale house or exporter or whatever and i see like 300 of them rammed in a outdoor enclosure and then you're like oh my gosh you know and it 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 becomes very difficult it becomes very very difficult to to start trying to like justify the hobby justify what i'm doing myself and keeping these animals and it it has changed my like some of the way like that I keep stuff. So um, and not to sound like a hypocrite, but now that I have the facility in Malaysia, I have, I have like a, it's a commercial sized facility that I have space and all that. I have, I have placed an order for um, 42 feet of arboreal glass terrariums. Um, mm. in, and it's going, you know, they're going to look, like similar to all the stuff I see in your background, except they're going to be mm-hmm. much bigger. And mm-hmm. so I can put a flying snake in there. I can put vine snakes in there. I can put boiga in there. And like the, the keeping will be like on a much better level, but I didn't have 42 feet of wall to do that prior mm-hmm. to me having this facility. So my goal is to constantly get better, you know, but uh, do I have big plastic bins that I put boiga in? Yes. Have I successfully bred boiga in big, you know, nice big bins, uh, plastic totes and all that stuff? Yes, I have no problem. It doesn't mean that the animals themselves are not, you know, being cared for properly, but it's just, I feel like uh, there may be more of like a European kind of, style of keeping uh, those kind of changes to the facility. So, um, and I want to do that. Like I really do. I want, I want to do that and give that to to my animals. And I even like sat down with my partner when I was presenting to him. uh, I want to, I want to order in all this, all these glass terrariums for the facility. And of course I had to tell him, don't worry, I'm going to pay for it. Like, I'm not asking you because mm-hmm. I want you to go in halves on me, halves with me. I'm I'm going to pay for it, yeah. but um, and and this is why. And one of the things that I presented to him was, you've been an exporter in Malaysia 
for like 25 years, you're the you're like you're the biggest guy in Malaysia. Have you ever seen like a, a Waggler's Viper set up in like an end user's beautiful terrarium, mm-hmm. or or just you just see them come in and they go into to your plastic bins and then they end up getting packed and then they ship out to wherever? Have you ever seen any of like your flying snakes set up in a beautiful arboreal, you know, terrarium with, uh, with monkey vine and all kinds of you mm. know stuff going on. And so I, and of course the answer was no. And so I told him, I said, just wait, I think this is going to be a mind blowing experience for you because um, I'm sorry, what do you need? <laughs> and I think it's going to change his experience because he's going to be, he's going to be seeing like a, like end user well, better, probably better than most cases, but he, he's going to be yeah. seeing the same exact animals that he's been exporting for 20 something years. He's going to see them set up in a really proper way. Mm-hmm. And I think for him, it's going to also maybe give him some different like appreciation for those animals. So yeah. I, I'm exciting. I'm excited to kind of see his reaction to, you know, seeing some of that happen. But of course, business with him like so business and i'm like hey but also all the products that we're using in the facility like these the video content that we film in here will promote and advertise what your local hobbyists can buy from your retail shops and set up their mm-hmm. animals just like the way we're doing you know i have to put that spin on it so that's yeah. where i have to <laughs> change yeah. my hat yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let, me, let me put some value on, on this for him but it is it is i think going to be really interesting for him as you know to see his reaction and and like oh wow yeah. you know those whatevers are really active in there like that's really interesting to watch them you know sit and perch and cruise and hunt and, and do all those kind of things so, yeah I, th- I think it's cool, but um, it's definitely it's yeah. I mean, reward. the always evolve and improve, and 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 you know get get better at stuff. So yeah. So uh, I have a maybe slightly uh, somewhat off topic, or like a slight change in direction on the topic. Um, with with so many projects that you have going on, you know, with um, your import export, your faci- your facilities. Um, you have employees, you have, you know, you have your, your YouTube channel, you're going herping. I mean, you have, there's so many, uh, what's the term fingers and so many pies, right? Um, how, how do you maintain a a work-life balance and, and what, what are some of the things like, are there people or influences that you have that have, you know, motivated you to pursue so many different things or, or do you, I mean, even it could be even something corny as like, do you meditate? You know, like what are you? What are some of the things? What are some of the things you do to like kind of keep it all well, together? And not, not to sound like egotistical, but I just vibrate on a higher level. The, mm-hmm. the crazier, the crazier my life is, the more, the calmer I get. Like I learned this about myself when I was at work, right? So I worked in law enforcement and there were a lot of days where everything was horrible and things just got completely out of whack and like super high stress things where it's like, Oh no, no, that's happening. And this and that. And like, I would, there, there like situations 
for me, like things would slow down and it would become almost like the matrix where I would be like, okay, <laughs> now I'm going to do this. And then that, mm-hmm. and that, and then I'm back over here. I'm going to do that. And like the whole, the whole situation could happen like in a matter of seconds or a minute or whatever. And I'll just sit back and go, my gosh, like I'll watch myself on the, on the surveillance camera and go, how did I do all that? How was I like, how did I know that that was happening? And how did I prioritize and do all these things at the same time? And so I just found myself time after time after time where like things are just hectic and going crazy. And like, I get calmer and calmer and calmer and I perform better when things are just completely out of control, even to the point mm-hmm. where like I'm, I'm looking at coworkers and going, well, you're stressed out, dude, you're going to lose your mind, you know? And I'm just like in slow motion and I'm just, just handling stuff. And so I just like, I just like a lot of stuff going on. It just, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it, I don't know why it just like, that's just the way I am. Like, um, I, I'm a really mellow guy, you know, and like some, like a lot of people comment like, Oh, dude, Dan's so mellow and whatever, but I'm really mellow on the outside. Cause I'm doing a lot in here all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it, like nonstop, like the, from the second I wake up, like my mind is all like, I'm already like, okay, shoot this email, do this invoice, da, 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 you know, and it's like the sun hasn't come up yet. It's middle of the night or, you know, and like I just feed off of being really, really super busy. And so mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I don't know how I do it. I don't know how I manage all this stuff. I mean, I have good employees, but I'm constantly, um, my mind is really, is really good at, I mean, all this stuff we, we we love all this stuff that we do, right? So like, we're we're in we're into all the reptile stuff and all these things, and I can, for example, like in the U.S., like that whole room is is memorized to me. I can tell you like right now exactly where whatever animal is. Like I could I could give somebody directions. It's like okay, now take three steps in, turn to your left ninety degrees, third <laughs> row. The bottom, you know what I mean? Like, a, and like, I remember all that stuff. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm good like that. And then my facility in Malaysia, I can, I can send a message to my worker and say, Hey, don't forget, you got to pull the water bowl on that one snake because, you know, she's gravid or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, sure. But I'll tell you, using that as an example, my employee over there, he'll be like, I already did it. So I, yeah, can, that's awesome. but yeah so he's pretty much like me. Like I haven't, I really haven't been able to catch him slipping at all. And I'm not awesome. trying to like twist him up, but um, just trying to remind him. Cause like, I would expect him to have forgotten about this or forgotten about mm-hmm. that. And, and, and so far, like he, he, he's like a, a younger Malaysian version of me, really the way that mm-hmm. he's able to, to manage that stuff. So I'm, I'm lucky by having like a worker like him. So I really don't have to worry that much. And just every once in a while, he'll message me, you know, and he'll say, hey, you know, one of our rubidists just laid these eggs. Um, do you think they're viable or not? You know, because like maybe the breeding stuff is not his specialty. So he'll he'll run things mm-hmm. by me like that. But, um, but having good people in place to like manage stuff. The U.S. for me right now is difficult because it's family and I got a couple of guys coming once a week, two different people. There used to be one guy. 
but I decided to add a second guy just so I could have a third set of eyes on. And, mm-hmm. and that way things, things like it, it reduces the chances of things getting missed. And so, um, but the end goal for that is like to have really no animals in the U S at some point, because I feel more comfortable with in Malaysia. So mm-hmm. if I ever lose my worker over there, it's going to be a sad day. And <laughs> I'm going to have to like really hope and pray that I find a good, good replacement. But uh, you got to have, right. you know, you got to, well, I have to have people like good people to, to kind of help things along and all that. And, um, and I'm just good about like being able to, to remember, to like remind people, you know, it's like, Hey, don't forget, you got to do this. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. You know? And so just, yeah. oh, I don't know. But like, if, you know, if you ask me like, what, what did you have for dinner last night? I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff that, you know, the things that we prioritize, right? So. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. And then I I rely Uh, on my wife over here to like manage, you know, the other things, you know, like the phone bill, the internet bill, the this, the that, (laughs) you know, I I need her. She's a huge help too, you know, so she, she helps manage as well. So. Yeah. So, um, but also before I forget, cause I, <laughs> we were talking about this right before we started recording and I, and I spaced all together cause we got off on some other really interesting and cool topics, but, um, Patreon I wanted to talk Patreon because I just felt like the feelings you had around it and the way you were talking about your Patreon in, in particular sounded really intriguing to me. So, um, like what drove you said you started in July and, and, and what, what drove you, what was like the impetus behind doing that? So I was talking to some other YouTubers at the expo and uh, at one of the expos and they brought it up. They're like, Hey, have you, have you thought about ever doing Patreon? And I was kind of like, eh, yeah, I thought about it, but I, I don't know because I, I just feel uncomfortable asking people for money unless like your, your, buying something from me or getting a service from me or whatever is like, I don't want people just to hand me money. And so, um, and so uh, one of the guys that I was talking to is like, dude, you should just try it. He goes, you, you may not like it, but you may like it. And I have, and he starts telling me all these numbers. I have this many Patreon supporters and we do, mm-hmm. we do this and we do that. And I have different tiers and, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but what, like, what do you offer? to your page because I'm like, you're so limited on what you can offer. What, like, what are you like? What are you giving, giving your people? And then just being frustrated with, with YouTube, not, not helping my channel grow, not Mm -hmm. paying me what I think that I should get and just getting like just a very minuscule amount of, of money. And it's like, why am I doing YouTube? Like I, I've been doing one video a week for, I think I'm going on my third year of never missing one Saturday, uploading a video every single week. But yet, and I realize my content is not like stupid and clickbait and all that other stuff, but, but why? Well, like, there's I've your been problem, consistent. Dan. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> like, but, you know, it's like I've been consistent and I'm putting out good stuff and I, I think it's, you know, has some value and whatever to it. Yeah. And yeah. then combined with all the people 
messaging me about, you know, hey, how do I get started in importing? How do I do this? How do I do that? And then finding myself through Messenger spending hours and hours and hours of, of me just like giving everything away and and spending so much of my time and and then it's like why did i like why am i doing that why like i didn't i'm not getting anything out of that i just spent three hours talking to this guy you know and it's like what why like i'm not getting anything out of this so (laughs) what i all those things kind of came to me at the same time and i thought you know what let me just start patreon but i'm gonna try Mm -hmm. to get back like I want to give back to the people that that join. So I have like I have three different tiers. The top tier, uh, the highest paid tier, those are based. Those people are getting like a, a consultation from me on a monthly basis. They, they're getting like a private one on one phone call. Whatever you want to talk about, whatever you want to know. Um, a lot of them are there for importing. They want to know the process and all that kind of stuff. And so it's like, okay, so it's like i'm I'm looking at that more like private consultation mm-hmm. some people are there just to support me which is amazing to me that's awesome and then um i'm doing a zoom try to do every month a zoom thing for for all my people and uh and yeah just uh trying to give people something and i had enough people jump in and and join in to where um it's like wow like that it's actually helping a lot like financially like it's helping me um kind of justify like the money should be coming from youtube because i'm the one that's on that platform helping yeah. them helping the platform with all the ads and all the monetization and all that i'm helping them but i feel like i'm getting zero help from youtube but then via patreon i'm i shouldn't be but I'm seeing that as a way to sort of like make up for the the lack of YouTube's payback, you know, yeah. but, but then at the same time, I'm trying to give back to the Patreon people by allowing them, like just opening myself up and like, you know, let's do the zoom. Let's discuss whatever you want to discuss and give discounts on animals and, and uh, early, early shot at stock and, and all those kind of things. And we have our discord and, everybody's super cool. Um, they're all like like-minded people. And yeah. I've been asked, I've been asked by some people. So what do you think? Are, are you, are you enjoying the Patreon experience or are you not? Cause some people don't like it. And I'm like, no, actually I like it. I like it because yeah. it's like-minded people and, and mm-hmm. we, we get together and, and do all of our stuff and, and, uh, and it's cool. It's cool. And we have really yeah. good discussions. Discord is, is, uh, is, really you know it's like, i don't have to like moderate it where i have to go in there and go ah, be nice to people you know you, you shouldn't have said yeah. that you know like it's not like that it's just it, i just let it go wild and and people are just there just sharing stuff and posting photos and 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 it it's okay i i wish you would grow more i mean i wish a lot of things right on especially <laughs> and everything else but um but the Patreon experience is okay. It's okay. Yeah. I think I have about fifty, about fifty patrons or so, and I don't push it. I don't. I don't really push it that often. Every once in a while, I'll drop a little, a little hint or whatever. But uh, for the most part, I feel awkward, you know, like asking people to join it or whatever. So I just kind of yeah, let, yeah. let it let it happen 
you know, on its own. But I, I do like when I'm, when I have like a super cool video that I think is like really cool reptile related and all that, that's when, that's when it seems to me to make the most sense to like say, Hey, by the way, you guys, if you, you know, if you like this video, you may want to consider joining our Patreon where we can, you know, discuss these things and more. And then I also have a second YouTube channel to where I I'm separating the travel content from the reptile content. Mm. So it just seemed like that made the most sense, but YouTube is so tough to grow like a new channel. It is so so difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, if YouTube would just, I mean, I get it. YouTube is a business. They want to, they want the most amount of people to see the most amount of ads because they're getting paid by the advertisers and all this other stuff. But mm-hmm. so the, the big channels are the channels that they're recommending and they're pushing and they're helping the big channels grow even bigger. But the small channels, it's just like if they just recommended every once in a while, like one of us, like a small channels mm-hmm. video to like more yeah. of their audience and like you got to help the the new channels and the small people grow a little bit too you know like that's yeah i have this hate relationship with with youtube where it's like man because i've been doing youtube for a long time and don't get me wrong youtube is amazing for business it's mm-hmm. amazing for promotion i have a small following compared to to most of the other bigger names i have way more knowledge and way more experience and I provide way more value in my opinion, but, and that's great. And people know who I am and, and, and I get a lot of respect and all that behind it, but it's, it's just like, where are the subs at? Like, where are the views at? This is crazy to me. And I know a lot of the, I know a lot of the YouTubers and I'm like, those guys don't know anything. You guys, you're following these people and you're getting your information from these people. They don't know anything. The reptiles mm-hmm. are a, it's a prop. It just a, it's just something that they use in their videos. It's crazy to me. It's crazy to me. Yeah. YouTube, I have the worst like love hate relationship with, with all of that stuff. It's, it's crazy to me, but I'm not going to yeah. stop. It's going to keep pushing forward. My wife keeps telling me, don't worry, it'll happen, it'll happen. She's been saying that for like the last 10 years. <laughs> and it's not happen and it's probably not going to happen. But I just, I just, I just keep doing it and, and, and it's cool. And if I ever like need to call someone out or if I ever need to, to put a message out there, my following is big enough to where it'll be heard loud and clear. So mm-hmm. like, you know. So like I, if if I ever need to, it, it's good enough for something like that. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I mean it's 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 okay. But Patreon is helping a lot. It, it, it's sad, but the Patreon is like helping helping justify me doing YouTube, which is not, not mm-hmm. how it should be. But that's that's like how how it is. <laughs> it's weird. So yeah, weird. yeah. How strange. That's very, very intriguing to me. There's such a strange difference between those two platforms. And um, yeah, I, 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 when I started mine, it was like the strangest experience. And you always, I felt real sheepish about the idea of like 
putting up a paywall between, you know, cause one of the, I do one, uh, I do one of the same things as you where, you know, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you get first shot at some of my stuff. And I had a couple of people get really upset at one point and say, what do you, you're like trying to put a paywall between your availability and the public. I'm like, no, I'm just saying these people are giving me a tip for the help I give them. So I'm going to give them first shot at the stuff I produce. It's a trade. It's an exchange. Like you can still get an animal. Yeah. Just they're going to get first dibs. That's not that weird. If you have a faster Mm -hmm. car, you're going to get to the reptile shop before somebody else (laughs) and get the, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's not that. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a bizarre thing. I got to plug into some power here or else I'm going to, my computer's going to die. Oh, for sure. Okay. Okay, I'm juiced up. (laughs) All right. No, I totally get it. I totally get it. It's, um, it's one of those things where, um, like I feel the same way, but, uh, but now when, when I do like a, when I do like a consultation with somebody, it's one of my patrons. I feel, I feel like it. it's totally justified and I feel comfortable doing that. So, mm-hmm. you know, set it up, give, you know, I'll give you half hour, which usually ends up being like an hour or whatever. And then, and then ask me all the questions you want and I'm more than happy to help you. And if you, you know, you want to message me in between our little phone call things and all that stuff, no problem because I totally appreciate, you know, the support. It helps me a lot. And, um, you know, at, compared to somebody that just hits me out of the blue that I've never spoken to ever. I have no idea who they are. I don't even know their name. You know, it's just some weird handle on Instagram and, and they're like, Hey bro, I want to, uh, I want to get into importing. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I already know that we're talking about a lot of time invested in a conversation like that. So um, usually what I'll do is I'll say, what is your question? If it's a simple answer, maybe I can just, you know, provide you just a, a, a quick version of whatever your question may be. But if you want a more in-depth, you may want to consider joining my Patreon where, you know, we can do a monthly phone call, monthly phone consultation, more than happy to answer and help you in any way that I can or whatever. And, um, and go about it like that. So, but it, it's, uh, it helps. I don't, I don't mind it. The experience is, it's cool, you know? So it's, it's good. It works. Excellent. Very cool. (laughs) Well, gentlemen, we're, we're just past two hours and I just want to be respectful of your time, Dan, and check in. Um, and see if you have space for a couple more questions or if we should just yeah, yeah. No, I'm good. wrap this thing I'm up. Good. Okay. You know what I'm cool. going to do though? I'm going to get rid of that annoying light in the back and close this. Okay. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. How are you doing on time, Phil? Yeah, good. I think i um, yeah. um, definitely steering it towards the, the close. Yeah, probably, yeah. The, probably the, but yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I, obviously. And part of that's just because we've got so much great shit already. Um, yeah. Hopefully in the, hopefully in the future we can do this again too, you know, like even though, yeah, because I'm sure we could have lots of really interesting conversations. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So as we're kind of moving toward, toward close, I'm curious. Um, I mean, you have had, 
I know that you're a real um, appreciator of diversity, you know, in herbiculture, and you've worked with countless species over the years. And I'm curious if there's if there's one that kind of stands out to you as like a favorite. Yeah it it's gonna be it's gonna be Pattaya's carinata just because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm the the godfather of that species because I brought it into the hobby. It it is a little bit, I have a little bit of regret for bringing it, bringing it into the hobby just because of the way that I see things now portrayed on social media. And it's, it's kind of taken on its own momentum where I see, I see hobbyists in Indonesia now having probably mostly a fake appreciation for it, but they're just doing it because of social media attention, mm-hmm. um, you know, because those, those animals were, they were just something that was being skinned and their mm-hmm. skin was being passed off as King Cobra because it looks so similar. So it was just like a, it was just another, it's like going to the, to the fish, like the deli section of your, of the supermarket and, and you can buy, you're buying one fish as advertised as this, but it's actually this because you can't tell the difference. So it's something like that. And so I just see like, now there's like lots of demand, but luckily the animals are still pretty scarce in the hobby. So I'm not seeing like all the other nonsense that goes along with that. But, uh, but I love those animals. I love the, the size, the, the, they have really good vision. I don't, I don't like to say that animals are intelligent. It's just that, it's just that most snakes can't see very well or at all. So they, the, the, the lack of having the sense of sight, it doesn't make the animal stupid. And the one that can see more smart, it's just that they just don't, they don't have Mm -hmm. acute vision, but Patias Coronata can see so well and they can actually identify uh, different people. Um, They can look and see what you're holding in your hand. Like if you walk into the Mm -hmm. room and you're holding you're holding a cell phone or you're holding like the, the bin, oh. of, you know, of thought out chicks or whatever, like they, they can see the difference. And so, so it's just really cool to me. And, and that combined with their, their size and, and everything else. And, uh, and, and me kind of being the, the godfather, I guess you could say of, of that <laughs> species, they're definitely uh, way up there high as one of my favorites. And then as, as, as you work your way down, like I love Boiga. I've, I've loved Boiga since I was just a, a youngster. Um, some of the very first snakes, you know, that I, that I kept were Boiga. And uh, I have a really nice, nice collection, a very diverse collection of, of Boiga. And there's still on that short list that I mentioned of species that I don't have yet. There's still a couple more Boiga that, uh, that I'm after that, people may or may not even know exist. So um, I kind of mm. keep those secret and uh, might be able to add, add more of those. And I'm really good at breeding those for some reason. We all have our, we all have stuff that we're really good at and other things that, that we're just not good at for some reason. Mm-hmm. And for, I don't know why, but Boiga, I'm just really, really good at them. I'm just really good at it. I don't know why they just come natural to me. And so um, they're like right there underneath Coronada. <laughs> yeah. I thought wow. that Coronada might be the one. I um, 
Yeah, that's just such an iconic snake. I, I remember the first time I saw a picture of one in in 2005, just this picture of four dudes standing across a like across a road holding this this Coronada and just being like yeah. that is a serious snake. Like that is that's something else. Yeah. And the, oh, yeah. And the king the king cobra mimicry part too is just like takes it to another level. Really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. They're neat. Okay, so so zooming back out a little bit, um, I feel like we've we've talked a lot in this conversation about kind of the state of the hobby. You know, I had a, I had a, qu- a question for you lined up of of kind of asking like, what is your opinion of the state of the hobby more broadly? But I feel like we've kind of gotten a pretty good read of that, um, kind of the things that are concerning trends and stuff like that. But, um like projecting forward, I'm curious from your perspective, what would you like to see more of? Like what direction would you like to see herpet culture go in? So let me, let me wind back just slightly mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't think we, we haven't discussed so much the, like where I feel that it's going mm-hmm. and where I feel that it's going, I think comes from a pretty, legitimate place because i have my my hands in a lot of different stuff including u.s expos and all that kind of stuff so i see a lot of things um and of course like market demand i get a lot of inquiries from for animals myself that a lot of other Mm -hmm. people don't because people know that to ask those other people for those things they're going to say no i'm sorry we have no idea what those are but they can come to me and ask me for like really kind of the obscure stuff as I like to call it and and they'll get an answer. What I'm seeing and what I've seen over the past few years, people are no longer afraid to work with um, all this like specialized oddball kind of Mm -hmm. uh, stuff. That's like, it's not the mainstream type stuff. It Mm -hmm. used to be that everybody felt like they needed it. It's, you know, it's like going to high school and, um, and everybody's wearing Vans slip ons Mm -hmm. or whatever. Right. Like all the kids feel like they need to wear Vans or, or they're not a cool kid. And so that's the way that, that the reptile thing was going for a long time. It was, if you weren't doing ball pythons or crested geckos or, or, or whatever, a very short list of, of very common things, you just weren't one of the cool kids. And so everything else was virtually ignored. And it was like that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Then it started to change. Uh, the market started to change. Things got a little bit oversaturated. Not not even close to how oversaturated things are now. But it was starting to look like it, things weren't going to make it. And maybe we need to jump off into this and that. And then that's where my business just sort of, I was just kind of in the right place at the right time where I was getting a lot of people coming to me now they wanted to like specialize and, and like corner their own little thing and whatever, or they weren't afraid to work with the things that they actually liked as opposed to the things that everybody else liked. And so um, it's continued going on that path. And right now more than ever, I feel like people are trying to carve out their own market with something unique that other people aren't doing or they feel that um, it it could use more attention 
or, mm-hmm. or whatever, or it has more value now or whatever it ends up being. But um, people are really looking to corner some type of market. That's the trend mm-hmm. that I'm, I have seen for a number of years, but right now it it's at an all time high. And so I know it sounds really weird because there's a lot of weird vibes in the reptile hobby and industry business where everyone is just like, you know, Oh, the, the recession and these, the, these things aren't moving anymore. Like they used to be and on and on and on. But for me, I'm experiencing the opposite where mm. I just have huge market demand, but you know, like if let's uh, let, let me use, I don't know, like one of the more rare, like Boiga species or so let's use like Melanota, Boiga Melanota, Malaysian mangrove snake. I can only produce and provide w- combined with us and Malaysia. Maybe I can, supply for like captive bred babies maybe uh maybe 20 to 30 a year mm-hmm. and i can i can also supplement with wild caught like adults maybe another like 40 or 50 and that's like that's about it like that's the most that i can supply are there a lot of other people supplying those animals into the market not really maybe a tiny little bit but not not much so how many customers do I need to like sell out, you know, to, to place all of those animals? I don't need that many customers. It's mm-hmm. a lot different than, you know, 20 something thousand or 40 something thousand ball pythons on morph market. You need a lot of customers to place all of those. So it's different. Yeah. So like me, like with my little markets and all that, I don't need that many customers. So uh, like my perception is like, well, my market's awesome, but if it ever becomes a point where you start adding zeros onto what's being produced, like say in the U S market or whatever. Okay. Now, now like there's a thing called market saturation that might like come into play where it's no longer like, you know, maybe it's no longer like maybe 70 or 80 animals per year, maybe add another zero to that because there's so many more people that are breeding Mm -hmm. or whatever. Now, now there's an issue, you know, with the market saturation. So for me right now, oh. it, it's easing because it's just small amounts of things. I can't even produce enough to, to you know, meet the demand. People are really into it. It used to be that like CITES animals, which is like all your pythons and monitors and all that stuff. That was what everybody wanted. And the non-CITES stuff, the non-protected stuff was like a, just like a riffraff animal, low, low cost, like just people didn't want that kind of stuff. And now like I specialize in non-sighty stuff and mm-hmm. some of the prices are, you know, like selling like a, like a Philippine mangrove snake for in excess of $2,000. Like, wow, that's a, it's a Boiga, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's mm-hmm. selling for more than, you know, like your average green tree Python or whatever. And so, you know, there's, a, there's value there. And so, um, mm-hmm. That's where I see things, not the not where the market is heading, but that where the market is at, where it has mm. already headed, and it seems to just pe- continue to be going that direction for me at least. And I'm mm-hmm. very fortunate, but I did spend many many years watching everybody else 
in all those like full on mainstream markets just make a killing. And I just sat back and just went, well, at least I have cool stuff. And whatever, like, and you guys just do your little thing, you know, it's like, like, you know, your Pokemon or whatever, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like, you just keep doing, doing your little thing <laughs> among yourselves kind of thing. So um, that's, that's where I see the market both at and headed right now for me. And I get yeah. a lot of requests for a lot of really weird stuff like, um, like Draco, like flying mm-hmm. dragons, flying dramas and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Just like really overall, you know, over the past couple decades stuff that is like, I could probably get it really cheap. Didn't do real good in captivity because, you know, it's specialized and you need to, you know, put in a little more work and have different caging and a little bit different husbandry and all that. But now all of a sudden, like I got like three or four different requests for uh, like each one wants like a small, like breeding group or breeding colony of flying mm-hmm. dragon. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, wow, that's really different. And if somebody ca- uh, keeps those successfully and breeds those and reproduces those, I wouldn't, I have no doubts that, a captive like baby captive bred Draco Volans could probably sell for a couple hundred dollars or more. Yeah. I have no idea, but but there's that's the kind of thing that that we're in right now, and mm-hmm. and it's great because the the more the more money that an animal animal is valued at, the the better care it's given, the more respect it's given. It's not treated like just some, ah, those only cost me $7 and 50 cents. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we'll put them in that cage and if they make it, they make it. And if they don't, they don't, you know, it like, unfortunately that's how things are. You know, they, everything gets assigned a, a monetary amount and it gets, it gets the, 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 the same type of care based on the amount of money. And it does, and and it, mm-hmm. it translates all the way back to the to the exporter. You know, if if he was selling those for three dollars and fifty cents for the last twenty years, but now all of a sudden he's able to sell those for like a hundred bucks a pop. Well, they're not going to just get dumped into some, you know, a hundred of them dumped into some bin out back. Like now they're going to be, it's going to be like, well, those are worth a lot of money, so we need to keep those differently so they they're healthy by the mm-hmm. time we're able to export to our customers. So there, there's just a lot of like, I mean, we, the pandemic even pushed the values of things like extremely high. Some of it was, mm-hmm. was, was real, but some of it was not. And so, yeah, freight went up a lot on things. Um, there were more complications to getting animals and that sort of thing, but not in all not not for everything. Some things yes, but some things no. But uh, but since the money was good and people were buying, then a lot of like resellers just they just cranked the prices on everything like really really high. Yeah, yeah. So, and it doesn't it doesn't it takes a long time for it to come kind of back down to reality. Also because um, you know like what what's posted on social media on Facebook and everything, the whole world sees that. So if you keep posting like, um, like, uh, what, what would be a good example? Like just something weird, like a, 
like an elephant trunk snake or something, you know, you'll have like a little Facebook group and, and the same people just constantly posting, look how cool this is, whatever. And then other people chime in. And then next thing you know, the prices are up a little bit, the prices are up a little bit. And then next thing you know, the dudes over in Indonesia, they, they're seeing all that stuff. They're seeing, they're watching the prices and everything go up, 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 up. Then their, their prices are going up. Then the exporters prices are going up. And so the whole world sees what we post and whatever mm-hmm. gets like the most attention. And then the prices go up and, and the whole thing like gets really kind of out of hand. So there's like yeah. so many that are going on with all that. But uh, I love to see people branching out, no longer afraid. Like, like I, I work with this and, and afraid that people are going to think that it's not cool. Like now you could just yeah. go to a show and like walk up to a table and just say, yeah, I'm breeding flying, flying dragons or whatever, you know? And like people are going to be like, whoa, that's really cool. But if you did that 10 years ago, they would have just laughed and said, okay, good luck with that. <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> sure. so true. Yeah. Yeah. That's very well, true. Man, this is, um, there's been a lot. This is there's been a lot of good insights here. I mean, obviously, yeah, really cool. we're gonna we're gonna have to have you back at some point, Dan, if you'd be willing. Just because, yeah. like I like I said, I've I had prepared some questions, and I think I only got through like half of what I had gotten. But, um, <laughs> no so well, some, the, someday we'll have to have you, you back. The, but you got all the like you got the heavy stuff out of the way. So next time we can yeah yeah next time we'll just stuff. we'll just do softballs yeah. next time. Just just <laughs> right down center plate. But uh, <laughs> there is one. There's one question that we ask um, all of our guests. It's kind of like a traditional thing. And um, Phil, you, Phil, you wanna you wanna pitch it this time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've been dominating so, the um, yeah, no, you've been killing it, man. Um, <laughs> I also want to echo. I also want to echo what Roy said because you know one of the things I like about doing this 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 show is that we come in with all these thoughts and ideas about what we might want to talk about. And a lot of times, some of the most interesting and rewarding conversations are the ones where we go way off track and just never get to any of the things that we wrote down. So, I, and that's, that's what happened here. So I, I'm super psyched about that. Um, with that in mind, the la- the question that we ask everyone who comes on the show, except famously for one person, which was Philippe de Vosgelis, you know, we just, because the, the whole episode ended up being about that topic but uh, this this question is why herpetoculture, and you could take that sort of as broadly or as specifically as you like. You know, it's it, you know whether it's why you personally, why do we do it as people? Is it good? Is it bad? I mean, just what you know? Why herpetoculture? My gosh, I <laughs> I so for me, like that question for me, I take it as like why am I doing it? Why, why am I in it? Why am I involved in it? And I can't yeah. explain it. I don't know why I have no <laughs> idea. why. Like a lot of people, a lot of people are like, well, my dad was an importer in the seventies. And so like we were breeding these in the garage and what I had nothing like that. All I can say is I started as young as I can remember. I was fascinated by dinosaurs and it's the same thing. Like it's so many people, it started with dinosaurs. It moved to insects and then, um, and then it, and then it moved to like marine biology, and then it just evolved into yeah. reptiles. And I found it to be just not only was I fascinated by it, but it was something that I could do 
by myself. And I just, I was just independent already as it was just, I didn't need to do everything that everybody else was doing. I didn't need to be fitting in. I just, it was just my thing. I don't know Mm -hmm. where it came from. I, I have, I have no explanation for it at all, but, um, yeah, I just like it. And I just gave into it. Like, like we said in the beginning, or like I said in the beginning where I always felt that it was, this was something for a kid and that I would outgrow it. I just never, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's like, a yeah. it's like a, like a drug addict trying to fight, like trying to fight it and go, you know, I, I know that I shouldn't be like putting this needle in my arm, but, but, Oh, I just, I have to do it. And I just caved yeah. in with reptiles, like at a, at a, like a long, long, long time ago. And I just kind of went, just give it to me. Like everything you got, you know? And, and, and so yeah. that's, that's the only thing that I can, I can liken it to is just like, I just, I just caved. I just, mm-hmm. I just yeah. let it consume me and just, you know, and just do it. We, awesome. we had a, yeah, that's a great answer. We we had um we had one kind of famous one that keeps just coming up over and over again. Philip Tremper said it's a disease when we oh, asked yeah. him that question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It, it it really is. It really is. I had when I had COVID, like for the no, that was this was the first time I had it. And I I would just like I'd wake up in the morning and I'd sick and feel like crap and then and then, um, like something would pop into my mind about reptiles, and like I would just tell my wife, I'd be like, "I feel like crap, but you know what? The, like, I can't help it. But this reptile stuff, it just it makes me feel so, so good. Like, you know, whatever it was that was going on at the time, whether I had a box coming or whether I had, you know, something yeah. something was gravid or whatever. It was just like no matter how bad everything is, you know, over here. And it's like, I just, it just, I don't know. It just, it just fixes everything, you know, just mm-hmm. if good stuff is happening, of course. You know. Yeah. 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 But yeah. That's great. It's There's weird. I just, I just open myself up and just give, give it to me, man. Give, give me all you got. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> I'll take it. Let's go. Look up the IV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> all right, man. Well, well, where can folks find you? I mean, obviously, we've already mentioned the Patreon, the YouTube. If folks want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get in contact? Uh, it's just DM Exotics on all all the platforms. It's it's all DM Exotics everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Dan at DMExotics.com is the email address. YouTube is where we're the most active. And all of the links to all of our stuff is in every video description. So you can easily get in touch or, or follow um, through just through the YouTube is the most, the best place. Every Saturday we drop a video, our other channel, we drop a video every Sunday. Uh, We're going weekly. We're going strong with that. So it's all out there. Yeah. Awesome. We'll have it all on the show notes too, for folks to find it easily. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it. Of course, man. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to stop the recording and until next time.